Hey everybody, welcome back to The Billy Club, the one and only show where we take a look at all of the adventures of Marvel's Crimson Crusaders, starting with his earliest appearances in the 1960s and making our way to today, stopping along the way for all of the news that the Hornhead feels fit to print. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Tori, you can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at smtory, that's Tori with an I, as well as at the Billy Club Pod on all of your socials. Nico, um, what are we doing today? Uh, so we're <laughs> looking at a two-parter. Yeah, Dee Dee goes wild. Uh, Kevo killing it with these graphics. This two-parter, Daredevil 2223, I almost feel bad calling it a two-parter because it's really like parts three and four of the last, but not really because there's that the owl thing in between. So I find myself a little disappointed maybe in these two issues. Uh, my, my beautiful, precious gladiators here. But I don't know, Tori, I think we both have a little bit of a, a hard time with these two. It's definitely another thing that we've been talking about a lot where they decide to split into two issues, what should have been one. Yeah. And um, I continue to be kind of disappointed with the whole deal, especially, and I can't imagine how I would have felt having to go through like six months of these six issues of just being like, why is everything taking forever? Completely. I think that one of the things that gets me the most about these issues in particular is that I don't know that it feels like anything about this two-parter has anything to do with Daredevil. It really feels like the bad guys take center stage for most of it. Maybe even Karen and Foggy get a little bit more spotlight than we're used to, but... Yeah, it's very interesting because I think in the last one we were like, oh my god, where are Karen and Foggy? They're not even any part of this because somebody got shipped off to Owl Land really quickly. But at the same time, for this one, I'm like, there's almost too much Karen and Foggy to the detriment of like... Not secret identity. Yeah, and what's weird is this is like the standard Daredevil creative team. These aren't unusual creators on Daredevil, so you would think that with it being Stan Lee, Gene Colan, and the regular team of Frank Jacoa and Bill Ayers with Sam Rosen, you just think that maybe it would be a little bit more on but like my question then becomes tori do we think it's that maybe they weren't ready to go monthly with daredevil i don't know because they've been monthly for a year it does make me wonder how far out they were plotting these things and so like were they just like all of a sudden they were like hey you get to be monthly now and so now they're just like scrambling to go as quickly as they had been planning to i don't know because i also don't think extra time would really have helped these issues Truly. Like, I actually think less time would have helped because then they would have been like, oh, no, we can't do this in 45 pages. We have to do it in 22. And, you know, that's something that I think about a lot when we talk about these issues and we talk about these stories. And the rate of decompression is sort of different than the rate of decompression now. When we stretch a story into six issues now, it's for emotional beats. It's for character development on a more basic plot. But this is so many stupid steps along the way this very month marvel introduced the first spider-man who does not have a hyphen in his name his name is pete spider-man and he's in edge of spider-verse and he is just a middle-aged spider guy and he's a spider totem and he's pete spider-man and he does not have a hyphen in his name and it brings up why stan lee ever had the hyphen there it's because he never wanted anybody to confuse him with superman Stan Lee made a lot of decisions just to make them. 
And that's not an insult. The man was trying to pioneer a new method of storytelling in a new era and was trying to come up with the first wave of new heroes that would stick. And I think a lot of the decisions he made were very, well, throw it at the fucking wall and see if it sticks. And they didn't all stick. Now, do we think that that maybe his better ideas got put on other titles and that this one got some of the C stuff? D yeah. stuff? The D stuff, the double D stuff, as it were, because this is something I've talked about a lot on various versions of our show. These companies have a fiduciary responsibility in order to keep the people who make them eating. I'm not even talking about shareholders. I'm not talking about a corporate responsibility to backers. I'm talking Stan Lee wanted Gene Colan to eat that night. And so he had to make the best story he could at the time. And I think when one book makes more money than another, and you see that Spider-Man is making its way to the top of the sales, Spider-Man has to get your top of the sales money ideas. And Daredevil can stand to have a few more of your he sells a couple copies ideas. That's fair. That's fair. Because I do have to admit, like, starting off with something called The Tri-Man Lives, to me screams like this should have been a return of a Tri-Man, not the beginning of a Tri-Man, I guess. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, like Frankenstein, the modern Prometheus lives kind of thing. Yes, yes. But it feels very lives again by yes. virtue of like the sort of schlocky 60s horror sort of very, oh, we're going to the drive-in, gonna see the creature kind of era. And they sort of treat it like that. Yes, this is very much like something where I'm like, oh, this is a Frankenfurter like plot, like on how to yeah. make a new man. And amazing job with Kevo pulling up the images as always. It's so great having a producer on this show. Makes it so possible to talk about these stories. The first page that we had open initially, they look great on this scan, but the Marvel Unlimited has been polished a little bit more to be a little bit higher quality. That's something that I think actually makes these books a little bit easier to read when you're looking at a, a really enhanced version like yeah like this one it's a lot more vibrant it's a lot fuller because these first few pages it sort of feels like i can't believe that he's still fighting the fucking owl from last time it's just crazy to me that he's got these big blocky figures it just doesn't feel like the most polished it's ever been it isn't until page four where that incredible daredevil on the statue image comes into play though i cannot figure out what the fuck statue daredevil is standing on that looks like that. It's tough, you know. There's a lot of um, choices in New York City architecture, and it's possible that something like this existed out there, um, and now it doesn't, but it's also highly possible that it uh, still does. So it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. But I'm, it's I'm tough. glad he has something fun to hold on to, some kind of headgear idea. Speaking of things to hold on to, this sequence on these two pages, give me some real foggy to hold on to. And that foggy sucks. The whole, let's go to dinner, honey, and she's like, and he's like, she would have done it a lot faster if I were Matt Murdock. And then he's like, I like clients that pay their bills on time. And like, yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I, I have a job. I want to get paid on time too. But that these are the only thoughts they give him? This is also a, the thing where I suddenly noticed where I was like, is this the same landlord that they had when Karen was fainting about rent? Because he feels like a lot more like hyper-focused in on this to the point where I honestly thought that this was where the who the Tri-Man was going to be. Yeah, I get that. Or die. 
Because that's usually where our like weird red herring show up is in the first four pages. I don't remember if this guy ultimately is the masked marauder or not. Oh, do we not he know who that be? is? I think we don't know who he is yet. Right, we know who the who the the organizer is. And, and then so there's confused with their little faces, lack of faces. Well, because they're all so generic. Like mm -hmm. this was not getting the scorpion, the kingpin. Kingpin appears in I think it's Spider-Man 48 through 50 initially. I think we're getting close to that. We're getting close. Okay. They say they say in 43 we are currently now because the rhino has gotten out. And we there, haven't seen the oh. rhino in Daredevil though. We just he's just a client. I think he's also a big enough name and I would believe it if you told me that there was a Daredevil or Matt Murdock appearance in an issue of Spider-Man where he was like I'm the Rhino's lawyer, and we skipped it because we've kind of decided that, like, one, I, you know what, I, I'm ready to throw my headphones off and walk out of the image, because that that issue that we read where Daredevil was in, like, three pages of it, I was like, never the fuck again. So, like... <laughs> the, the one little bouncing head that's like, yeah. I can't believe Spider-Man's a louse! No more fucking single panel appearances, guys. Uh... I'm not doing that to you. We can't do it to you. It's not fair. We'll talk about them for a minute, but that is not an episode. No, no, we're not doing it to you anymore. I do love how we get a callback to Daredevil's ability to fly aircraft without knowing what the fuck he's doing. Just, you know, balancing. I mean, cool. most pilots learn on one plane, and when that plane is retired, they ultimately have to either learn a new flight system or, like, go into flight training. But instead, Daredevil can fly anything, including a giant exploding owl. Then he's like, oh, I hear there's a time bomb. I just want to be like, Matt, get your dick together. This is out of control. I mean, it's a very pretty bird, but like, Jesus Christ. And also, like, my big thing was there was no, like, real suspense to it. It was like, tick, tick, tick. What's that? Owl, I have a bomb. Daredevil's like, it's a bomb. And then Boom. that's it. That's it. No, like, suspense. No, like, will he, won't he? Oh, my goodness. Nothing. And I don't know why, but suddenly Judge Lewis looks like Rosie O'Donnell meets uh, Roger Ebert in this panel. <laughs> and I don't know who decided that he looks different all of a sudden. Speaking of looks different, is that Karen Page a little bit further down? So Karen is looking very mid-60s now. It feels like Jean Colin maybe, like, has a teenage daughter or something because all of a sudden the 60s have hit Karen, and it's great. I love it's that beautiful. for her. I she love looks the nude so nail, the nude lip. I love the simplified, the hair, the hair longer but still flipped. Like, she's looking jazzy these days. I like and it. I, feel, I like it for her because it's so stupid. But if we're imagining that these are all people and they all have their own internality, even if she's not Daredevil, she has that internalism. And that internalism for Karen Page here says to me, amidst all of this going wrong, not, I got new hair, so I'm a new lady. No, it says I took control of something that I could because this world around me, I can't control anymore. So let me control who I am, what I look like, and let me tell the world who Karen Page is before they even know what hit them. And like, that's a read for her that like, it, it just swells in my chest. That's like, that's like Anne Nascenti's Karen in like a single moment. And it makes me so happy. And I'm so glad you're giving that to her because honestly, all I thought was they found the new hot girl in yeah. the 60s. 
she's not like late fifties Karen anymore. Like now she's sixties Karen. Yeah, sixties Barbie is here. Yay! And so yeah, and it's just so nice. I'm just happy for her. I don't know. You've made me love Karen more over <laughs> time. I, like I am so much softer on her than I ever used to be. I used to not be the world's biggest Karen fan. It's you know. So- hard because like there's so much there that you can like latch on to and kind of like weave inter you know subtext and intertext in into there until like you reach like 10 issues of it and then you just go no she's just she she's just a barbie doll that men are <laughs> and it's just that's all that it is it's just her like wafting in and out as something for the men to look at and think thought yeah. bubbles about and to remind us how blind he is. Cause it's always like, she can't get two thought bubbles in without being like, but his blindness. Cause like, I'm starting to think if he's blind, she's got repeaters disease because she can only think the same three fucking things. She's obsessive. It's true. I want to jump to uh page number six for a moment a little bit earlier on because one of the things that this two-parter had was an excessive number of splash pages there were like six splash pages in three issues which is way 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 too many but my favorite thing in the world is it does not look like he's walking through curtains it looks like he's walking past dr doom See, and I spent my whole time being like, okay, yeah, he's hopping in off the ledge. Like normally he like swoops in like a gymnast, but I was more concerned of the fact of the giant bomb he drops in here, which is I'm going to tell her how I feel. And I'm like, which, whoa, whoa. What do you know how you feel, bro? <laughs> I also think it's the same building. The- <laughs> <laughs> like oh, he's great. just, Matt is a mess. And as a person who wishes Foggy Nelson would man up and, and, you know, figure out how his dick works, um, I'm actually concerned for Foggy Nelson's ego right now because once Matt tells Karen how he feels, like, that is that, sir. That's that. That is that. That partnership is probably in danger. That friendship is in danger. And, like, you know, it's there's 750 issues of Daredevil. So, whatever. It's going to be in danger, and it's going to get better, or it's not. But it's kind of a repeated beat over and over again that it's so close to that precipice. Mm-hmm. My fear is him stepping too far into it. And, like, it's so funny because I know how it goes. So, like, I'm not like, this is going to get real Game of Thronesy. I worry for Foggy because I'm so lucky that the, the voices on Exodus for podcast are so brilliant. And we have an incredible voice, B-Way Jackson. B-Way one time said that there's a lot of white men in comics who represent a generation of white men who were told to be better, but never given a single good white role model to look to. And since they have trouble looking to any other color role model, perhaps it's of note that we should have more positive fictionalized versions of these characters so we can say no that's what a good one is stop being bad mm-hmm. and foggy doesn't have that he does there's not. superheroes and then there's every other fucking schmuck in the and marvel he universe like, he's he's on the fence on whether or not he likes superheroes right which is such a huge thing at the eight the, the dawn of the age of marvels that's such a telling you could be a jay jonah or you can be ant-man and think that nice spider-man like those yeah. are the two choices Yep. He's living in this world where he's like, I just think that they're chumps. Why are they always wearing masks? Why can't they stand up and tell us who they're about? But also, pretty cool how they always get the girl. Yo, learn to match your tie to your fucking suit, and then we'll talk, (laughs) Foggest. 
he matched his tie to his girl. <laughs> That's pretty hot. She didn't know, though, so that makes it kind of like smelling her hair with clothing. He just has a whole rainbow of ties and suits, and he, like, he, like, scopes her out through the window, and then he's like, okay. Speaking of baller looks, on page number seven, we finally get the Mask Marauder and the Gladiator together, and I'm just gonna say it. I am gay for Gladiator. I oh, cannot get over it. But it's just he's so hot. <laughs> and like the the fucking like first of all, he looks like a primary color version of Tom of Finland with a little bit more S and M in there and you know what <laughs> what gay Dom hasn't, you know, fancied himself a gladiator of Finland at some point. And his costume even repeatedly points to his dick in the front and the back. I love him. First of all. Who Gladiator becomes is a deeply sick individual who deserves all of our love and all of our forgiveness Mm -hmm. and all of our understanding. Mm -hmm. And the character of Gladiator is ultimately a hero. Yes. I would say this, Melvin is. Yes. We're not Melvin We're, yet. Melvin Potter. And then his his portrayal in the TV show was great. I am such a fan of this character. The dialogue here is unfucking recognizable. This is <sighs> this is not him at all. The voice is weird. The accent is weird. It doesn't even feel in line with who he was several issues ago. Right. I so protective of this character and so not cool with this this particular portrayal so the last time that we saw these two together we were actually drawing a lot of parallels of daredevil and foggy and how right. they were doing this thing now that in this issue it is literally just all i sat there going was this is pinky in the brain yeah this pinky in the brain it's genius and lucky it really it's- really is and so disappointing. who thinks that like if you know if you just shut up maybe i could punch him and then i'd be in charge like neither of them understand how they are both really really bad at their jobs yes and it's because melville isn't meant for a life of crime and melvin isn't meant for a life of crime he is meant to be a protector and that's why he makes armor for people and like i am just so fiercely def- like ferociously defensive of this character the fact that the fucking mask marauders play plan is put a dude in a tube put another dude in a tube and then put a third dude in it okay this guy can teleport people using giant light fixtures that was the other thing when they were like he's got a laser ray or whatever and i was just like oh cool so like he's gonna have dudes that like walk up and go but no like he has infiltrated the electrical system and like any lamp that he so chooses can be part of his like moving ray thing i don't get it I was like, you could do so much more. You could steal all the money in the world. You could, you could, you could traffic as many humans as you possibly wanted to. The, you the could drugs, steal the armor off of Iron Man. The drugs, the armor, the guns, the anything. Speaking of weird fights, page 13 uh, kicks off with those two beautiful men punching each other. I love seeing these two beautiful men punch each other, but... Uh, this is one of those situations where nobody was thinking when they made the book. Fluff, 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 fluff. But also, like, for all these thought bubbles about, Karen, how are you? I hope she's okay and in love with me. I'm fine, Matt. I hope he realizes I'm not fine because he's not in love with me. Where's the thought bubble that is like, much like my father walked into the ring one the- last time. Today, I walk into a ring for the first time in the name of justice. Where is it? 
Well, but they have room to give you an arrow in case you can't tell from the second to last panel that you go to the last panel. Mm -mm, mm -mm. On the plus side, Tri-Man's backside is three thumbs up. I was very impressed. Like, once Tri-Man got in the ring and was amongst all the colors, I was like, this stark white with the light blue accents? Phenomenal. Fantastic. I was like, it's otherworldly. It's outstanding yeah. in its field. Like, it is a really good look, and, like, I can see why Vision stole it. Yeah, the Arcus Vision in particular. Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. I also think that this is the first time I ever was like, holy shit, the shading on Daredevil's costume is insane. Like, there are some panels here where this team is channeling artists who won't be big for 20 years with the shading. It is masterful the way they manage to blend shadow. Some of Matt's facial work is so good. That giant splash right there. Oh my god, the quality. Like, I would not be shocked if you told me that giant splash was part of where Ridley Scott got the visualization for the engineers from Prometheus, there is such physical power there and such immensity. And like you said, conveyed through this starkness. And to point out that the shading work is done through line work here. This is such a delicate way to get color and to get depth. It's incredible what these creators were doing without and, the aid of a Wacom. Yeah, I was gonna say, this ain't digital, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. This is me and my little pen and the burp, 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 burp. Oh, I fucked up. Try it again. <laughs> Try it again. I, you like, know, so much so much respect for these creators. And then I even feel like there's places like on page 19, there's this panel of Karen that I think is actually kind of haunting. She really looks frightened in a way that I don't think they always capture with women. The best Karen ever looks is when she's fucking terrified. Yes. Every single goddamn time, if Karen is out of her mind with fear, she looks like a fucking Hitchcock poster. Oh, what a great way to put it. What a great way to put it. I like, really could not agree more. And it makes me wonder, like, if they... They were like, oh, you know, we'll just draw a generic girl. And they're like, oh, but we want to draw her really scary. Like, let's pull up a frame of Tippy Hedren. Like, let's go. Right? <laughs> hey, they were just looking at some birds. The birds were right there. I had two big what the fuck moments for this uh, thing. The first one is smaller because it's when they reveal that their office is on Madison Avenue, which if you are not local to the New York City area is on the east side probably Midtown East, which is literally across the island from a little place called Hell's Kitchen. And if and, I may. And yes, and How the money. fuck are Madison? Money. How when, are they parking they, their ass on Madison? When they talk about Mad Men, they're talking about Madison Avenue advertising men. And so when you think of Don Draper and Roger Sterling in those suits and with that hair and the gals looking good and the parties they're throwing and like everybody looking to the tea, that's where Matt and Foggy and Karen are hanging Have out. Fun. I guess. I guess. So like this retcon back to a house kitchen can't come soon enough because this is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous to think about. Yes. 
And also, like, how is he supposed to be the devil of Hell's Kitchen if he's always slinging in and out of Madison Avenue? The things we see happen with Daredevil. What part of Madison Avenue has a seedy pier? None of it. None what part of, of Madison Avenue are you flying a plane down, Tori? I mean, in fairness, Alphabet City is a little further south and to the east. So, like, there is a seedy okay. side to the east side. But uh, in general, <laughs> but it's four blocks. east and the upper... <laughs> And the Upper East Side have always been bank, big bank. So, and even now, like, even now the seedy side is kind of boho chic seedy. Oh, yeah, no, Alphabet City is not what it was. <laughs> no, it is, uh, what brings a mogul in his own li- in his own mind to the life cafe? Money. So. Money. Big bank. Big, big bank. Um, and the other big what the fuck is, I want to know why we kept foggy suit. <laughs> His daredevil suit. Why did we keep it? What are we interested in? Because also in this uh, lovely panel that Kevin actually has pulled up, he tells Karen to dress in something pugilistic, which for those of you who did not do wild party in your senior year of college, <laughs> boxing. <laughs> we have the same frame of reference. I have to go. <laughs> It means boxing. <laughs> so he's like, why don't you put on your little gold shorts and a pair of red gloves and meet me at Madison Square Garden? Wait, was it the Lechusa or the Lippa for you? <laughs> uh, we did the we did the Dina Menzel one, so that's Lippa. Okay. But uh, a small black box the year before had done the Lechusa. I, I love both, so certainly no, they're very judgment. But the, and they're both so good. It's a musical. Kid. Oh yeah, it's a musical based on a, a collection of of character stories from a long um, poem. Yeah, that it's a uh, yeah, and they both hit Broadway and off Broadway at the same time, and like there's so much in that giant work that they don't even have some of the same characters. They don't. It's incredible. But it is a really fun place to watch how Edina goes from Rent to Wild Party to Wicked, and you can really feel the nodules building on her vocal cords. I, you know what? I'm just going to throw in that couple of months of Aida. Ooh, yeah, that'll do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that'll well, do it. Maybe we should learn to let it go, uh, because uh, we are not anyway. over the moon. Anyway, about- what we're trying to say is, I guess Foggy's a secret, like, role-playing kinkster, because they kept around his version of the Daredevil suit, which I cannot imagine has the same kind of like protective weave to it as Matt's actual outfit. So we also have to remember that once Matt steps into the ring, he's not in his actual Daredevil outfit. He is in a knockoff. Which I am concerned a little. But you know, like a little boxers, boxers don't go in in giant suits. They go in in, you know, little trunks. Little trunks. Little trunks. So yeah, so... um. Why do we have it? Why does Matt know that we have it? Why does he say, let's put it on me? Because and- the same size. Right. Like, so this also shouldn't be skin tight to Mr. Murdoch because well, admittedly, Foggy's a different shape. Well, and- okay. When Matt was flying the plane, he saw down with his radar that Foggy had a a Daredevil suit that he gave the tailor to get alterations on, but the tailor read the wrong numbers or did it in centimeters instead of inches or whatever, and so the tailoring fits Daredevil. Matt. Matt. (laughs) 
And then Karen, as opposed to saying, no, I'm not fucking driving you, you shit. <laughs> you, you, for all of her, like, he's blind and helpless. She goes, oh, I guess this is a good idea. She stresses me out. <laughs> she, is, she is so horny for danger. It is so horny for danger. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. She's like trying to walk across a Lego room. Like, just like bare feet. She doesn't care what happens. Her feet are going to bleed forever. She's down with that. I'm sure there's a website for that. This girl is a whole, she is the first girl and possibly the final girl, let's be honest, in a horror movie. Yes. You know, I would literally watch an entire horror movie of Deborah Ann Wall by herself trying to escape like frightening situations and she's literally the only person in the whole film. I would watch that in an instant. Like, I think Deborah Ann Wall, she could read the phone book with great conviction. I would listen to her read the ingredients on a packet of ramen. But I think there's a way to edit True Blood into that with her scenes. I think you could do it. Oh my god, I have a new dream. I just feel like sometimes it takes that sort of infusion. It's that line from Why the Cage Bird Sings. It takes the infusion of the human voice to bring writing to life. And I think that's just so true in Karen's case. It really takes the infusion of a human voice to bring her to life out of this. I definitely think that it takes the inclusion of a woman's voice to bring Ooh, uh, yeah. <laughs> a lady to life. I think that's very important. I was um, deeply confused as to why Karen decided to go along on this little mischief-making scheme. Why she felt that Matt Murdock was such a great lawyer that he could talk his way out of a psychopath. Um, overestimated belief in higher education. <laughs> and I will say... In the beginning, it does look like he has the upper hand. And this is, yeah. This is a good fight. I did write down, like, for all that I was like, yeah, pages 15 through 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, But it is a good fight. Like, it's a good, solid fight. And you know what? When the next issue starts, I'm still with the good, solid fight. I love those first two splash pages, even though, reasonably speaking, neither one should exist. These are... Such chunky splash pages, but I I love that on the cover we have Matt's ass up in the air, and then on the first page we have the Tri-Man's ass up in the air, and then the Tri-Man's ass is up in the air again on the next page, but Matt's like also looking up at whatever's coming for their asses. I really love it. I love it, but I'm also very bewildered of the fact that over the loudspeaker comes hey daredevil there's a lawyer and his secretary here give it up <laughs> and he's like oh shit there's a lawyer and a secretary here i better fucking stop like like people like there's karen comes very close to figuring it out in this episode and only her like deeply ingrained ableism keeps her from <laughs> it. but Everybody else, you can't tell me that in the entirety of Madison Square Garden, which I recognize is not as big as it is now, there is nobody who goes, Nelson and Murdoch, and Nelson's here, and the girl they always work with is here, and he's real concerned about them? Where's Murdoch? Why is he so I... concerned? Where is Lawyer Man? And, um... Why does he drop everything for those two people? Am I not worth it? I'm a lawyer. My girl is here. She used to be my secretary till I left my wife to make her my second wife. Like, what, what, what? How does nobody go, you know, I have questions. 
it is one of the things that becomes one of the biggest punchlines of Daredevil ongoingly. How stupid the world must be that they don't connect that as soon as Matt Murdock does the case, Daredevil hits the guy. Are we going to cover the letters page on both of these issues? Oh, I think I think we may. I think okay, we may. Good, because the Marvel Unlimited version had has pages, pages. Had both of them, and I had a lot of like thoughts and would love your thoughts. So we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. Oh, because we definitely will. Maybe folks, we'll so, just do a letters special. Ooh, I love doing extra things where I have to do less work for them. <laughs> Same, because guys, for real, we love making this. But oh yeah, there are times the reading challenges what we love about this so this idea that there's there's more to be done it's never a problem breaking episodes apart and having more to talk about that's always so exciting i think the bigger problem is like when we discredit things worth discussing one of the truths is the three criminals the brain the answer and, and, and the mangler yeah the three guys that get combined into making the tri-man as soon as they're kidnapped i guess just decide to go along with it because then when daredevil breaks them out they begin fighting him well, in fairness, the mass marauder is screaming, I will give you as much money as you could possibly want. But he but, just kidnapped you. Don't trust the fucker. Well, I mean, in fairness, the mangler does not seem smart. The dancer seems very money motivated. And the brain is told, whatever you want, I will get it for you. So, like... And there's honor amongst thieves, I hear. I gotta be honest, the mangler's body is so insane on page, like, eight. Oh. His back is so intense. And I specifically only want to comment on that because the musculature on these books was frequently less than anatomically in-depth, less than anatomically powerful. Mm -hmm. And we're really beginning to see some changes from the sort of formlessness of the giant red suit to a lot more muscular detail in the red suit. We're noticing that even robots have like ass muscles and like you know that's a little silly but it's also really indicative of how these creators were trying to further their industry and further their art at the same time you know you make a funny book nobody calls you kandinsky but down the line the next kandinsky is going to have been affected by these funny books so i will also say that as we have noticed that daredevil becomes progressively stronger when he's up against strong heroes i will say that the more muscled his villains are the more sure. he gets so yeah. i do think that is also part of it but the more times we see him being jacked whenever they go back to look at their references they see more jacked images and so therefore he's starting to start exponentially better yes yes yeah. yes I was very interested in the fact that we got two recap pages. It was wild. That said basically the same thing as the last page of the previous one, which I guess is is more noticeable reading them back to back as opposed to when it was just you had one and then you had four weeks and you had another. I want to thank Kevo for zooming in on this. He literally, Stan Lee, literally even says, we couldn't pick which image to use, so we used both. Yeah. Stan's been really killing me with the notes these two issues. Yeah. There's still an editorial edict to not do this because... <laughs> <laughs> there was one where I was just like, Stan, I need you to put the pen down. Was it Batang? It, it was, was Batang! And Batang is silent. 
You know what? I'm going to say the N in Stan Lee is stylin'. Stanley, okay? Like... Rosen worked really hard on that second but N in Batang. I don't think you should do that to him. He didn't say this N invisible. Sam Rosen said this N is here. So <laughs> so ridiculous that the second N is the one that like he's bouncing off of. He's batanging off of. It, it, thank you. It's so ridiculous that he just gunned for that letter. So unfair. I think one of the things that this issue has that I appreciate is a lot of fluid moving action. I get very tired when these issues kind of drag on, especially the second part of a two-parter. Happens a lot in Daredevil. But this issue starts a habit of something I don't care for, which is quickly swap out the bad guy for a lion and i wish this wasn't a trope in daredevil but like on page 18 now hold on one second the guy's name is gladiator they're going to a coliseum what the fuck else is supposed to be there (laughs) i'm also very sorry though that it turns into a trope but i feel like in this particular instance fine if we're gonna jump a shark it might as well be a lion Okay, I will agree. (laughs) Jumping the shark into a lion is the best joke ever, but it is so weird that Daredevil has to keep fighting big jungle cats. Well, they're smart and sinewy and, uh, you know, bad at seeing- Are they available in New York? I'm waiting for the day when the New York Public Library lions come to life and he has to fight them. Yes, fine. I could see it happening. All said and done, this issue just sort of screams to a halt, though. Like, it just ends, like, really suddenly in a dramatic way. And, like, I don't know. I like a lot of this, but it just ends. So we get more of the magia, the magia. The Magia, yeah. The Magia, okay. Are they magic or is it just them being weird? Uh, they're just really Italian. They're just really Italian and they were once owned by the Nef- Nefario one that got beat up by the X-Men. Okay, so they're looking for a leader. Yeah, so they're looking for a leader. They're a crime junkies. And so Mass Marauder's like, I want to own you. I want to be a part of you, right? I want to get that good, good Italian money in your castle in Italy. And so he builds up this whole idea. And then he's like, quick change. I'm not going to give you just Daredevil. I'm going to give you Daredevil and Gladiator. And the entire time, this crime family is like, whoa, Daredevil? Whoa, Gladiator? Whoa, this guy must be the top of the top. And I'm just like, are there not an Iron Man? Is there not a Thor? Like, a Have you around. America? Like, I, it, like, love my horned heads. But um, I don't think Daredevil is even, like, Spider-Man famous. Like, why is everyone suddenly like, oh, Daredevil, Because it's his book. I know. And I know we've had this conversation before. It's just, it just gets so blind to itself. I agree with you. You're, you're, it only has internal validity. It doesn't have intratitle validity and that weakens the efficacy of the storytelling because when something happened in Spider-Man, everybody got it. When something happens in Daredevil, that happened. And so, like, I'm just so fascinated that they're just like, ooh, ah. And then, like, they fight. The cat gets out. Daredevil puts the cat back. He puts the cat back in the bag. And then he turns around, like, ready to be like, okay, fine. One more. Come on, Gladiator. And Gladiator goes, no, I'm good, bro. Thank you for the lion. 
thank you. And then the mafia is like, hey, uh, Gladiator, you want a job? Because because fuck this mass Marauder guy. He said he, you would both die and you did it. So you, though, you're still alive. Why don't you come with us? We'll uh, train you up a little. And he goes, sure, I love Italian fabrics. And then... That's and the best read on that ever. And then Mass Marauder's like, damn you! And throws things. And then they're like, all right, um, anybody want to go like catch Daredevil? And they're like, no. And they're like, okay, buddy, you can go. And so he's like, I guess I'm going to go home, guys. With no money and no clothes. I don't know. It just ends. like, And that's one of the things that gets me the most about it. I feel like Daredevil villains are never thought out enough that defeating them matters. So as long as it ends, we're good. Okay. How could we have fixed this? I think the key element is, number one, the fact that it's at a boxing match quickly gets forgotten. I think number two, it's too many villains who are supposedly working at odds, but also together, and that loses sight of the narrative. If there was some way in which Mask Marauder was focusing on Daredevil, the Magia were focusing on Foggy, and Gladiator were focusing on Karen, I could try and find a way to make these three pieces work, but you're trying to pack an extra large man into a medium shirt, and it doesn't fit because these characters are too big. They're too dynamic. They're too powerful. Like, I don't mean like strong, but I mean like powerful. And you need to disengage some of that power for it to fit without a lot of it feeling silly and overblown. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that they heard some of the criticism that from their last two parters that the second one is really the one that's bloated for no good reason. Because No good reason. To, they seem to not understand where the halfway point is. They only to understand where the end of act two of three acts is. So I do got to hand it to them that they made the second one exciting, but it was still not the right way to go about it. I actually think that we should have simplified a lot smaller where okay. it was like using the transport array to like start stealing shit and gladiators there to make sure that nobody fucks with things. And so he has his fights with Daredevil in the beginning and then gets knocked out of the way. But then Mass Marauder's like, fuck, I need a new muscle guy. Brings on the right. dry man. And then um I don't know, the the Magia are watching this whole thing happen and are like, you know what? If you can pull this off, we'll give you the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the blah, blah, blah. I'm with you. And then we can go to Rome. But I just feel like it's just so much going on. And then the fact that like we get to the end of this two-parter and Matt hasn't even told Karen how he feels. No, in fact, that like it winds up running into next issue and then next issue does some stuff. And like we're on a weird trajectory for the next couple of issues as a matter of fact yeah next He's issue in it, a different country and that's never good for matt he always takes eight issues to come home speaking of coming home kazar is in the next one no no we brought him up and i was like why are we talking about him no no number 24 features kazar and i think that'll be a really great place to look at a lot of letters pages because it's a shorter issue and it mostly follows up on the plunder storyline and tori we will want a clear slate to enjoy 25. Okay. Tori, our favorite character, shows up. <laughs> I forgot! At issue 25, we get Mike Murdoch. Yes, it's here! It's here! It's finally here. Oh my God. So, 
I I'm really excited. His swinging twin brother. It's right there on the cover. It means everything to me. I'm so excited. So I think for 24, we should uh, look at 24, do a wrap up on those letters pages before it, and then we're gonna fucking roll right on to 25. I just, I just. Oh no! Oh yeah, twin brother. There he is. Oh god, there he I'm is. So amped. I'm so amped. So fucking yeah, excited. I, I read some of these letters and I was like, "Bros, this is a lot." Oh my god! <laughs> now, I mean, all said and done. Before we get to the excitement that is Mike Murdoch, and one of the things that I think truly cemented our friendship forever, Mike Murdoch, I would give this two-parter a C. It is not the worst thing we've read for this show. It's not even the most troubling thing we've read, but like without Gladiator, with any other bad guy, if that was Ox, not Gladiator... D. I just have such intense Potter blinders that I'm gonna give you know Melvin the pass, and I'm gonna say it's a C. So no Gladiator story gets below a C. Oh, hey boyfriend. Oh, he's so he's so he's so manly. I just um, love him. Just a little gladdy daddy. It's my little For daddyator. Me, who doesn't have those blinders as much <laughs> yet? I think I'm actually in the same realm because I do kind of love the chaos of the second one. Yeah. Like there's a large part of me that's just like we were in the ring and then we're we're breaking open our alien capsules and then we're fighting these guys who I really wish had been guys that we already knew. And then we're going to Italy and then we're fighting each other in the Coliseum and then there's a lion and then we put the lion away and everybody's changing us all the stuff. And like I'm just like, yeah, no, like this is this is a wild ride and I don't really enjoy it, but I do appreciate the effort. And so yeah. So what I would say is, oh man, just like on this week's Exits for Podcast recording, I would say, see me after class. I'm intrigued and I think we can flesh this out for half credit. I'm with you. I really am. <laughs> I do know, however, that the big turning point here for me is that Karen is advancing her feels. Mm. That's, that's a thing. Karen's no longer like, oh, but should I? She's a little bit more like, now's the moment, bro. Yeah. And... That impatience is kind of sexy on her. The impatience is sexy. And also, like, she's getting a little more confident in her confusion about Daredevil and Matt. Like, she's a little more like, I feel like he is, but. Yeah. I think. Her, like, her being like, I don't know, like, maybe. Well, and I think one of the best things is that if she ever just saw Matt and, you know, a pair of spandex, she would be like, oh, no, that ass. Yeah, I get it. Except she did. She did. She saw him in the suit this time. Okay. Yeah, like, maybe she's the one who's blind. I don't know. <laughs> maybe she's got to get her vision fixed at a weird European vision clinic. <laughs> think she's been writing to these eye doctors the whole time, and they're like, of course, Karen, we will see your blind friend, but can we talk about the fact that like you, your handwriting is this big? <laughs> I have woman blindness. It makes me do woman things in the 60s. Thank God she has the subway or else she wouldn't be able to drive. I mean, I'm not even sure she knows how to get in the big tube car. So um, thank goodness there's a man to walk her onto it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
why they do her so dirty. I'd never know. Man, I am really excited about doing this, like, letters page review now, <laughs> like, already. I'm getting my pugilist ready. So, um, <laughs> I've loved this hour with you, Tori. This is just, like, one of the best things in the world. We get to look back, laugh, and love, and what's more fun than that? But, you know, Tori, until we get to talk more about DD going wild, DD going wild, where can everybody find you online? I will be at Tori underscore Sheehan on Instagram at SM Tori. That's Tori with an I on that one's on Instagram. The first one's on Twitter. Where can people find you, Nico? Nico action everywhere to make life a little bit easier because uh, I got to have that branding, right? You guys can also find both of us over on the partner show to this, as well as our amazing producer and my incredible husband, Kevo, at Exes for Podcast on Twitter and Exes for Podcast.com. You can find out all the latest and greatest. Also, that amazing art right there. Just like all of the art on this show is by Tori and Kevo, who do the line work and coloring together and make this show look even better than I could have ever dreamt. You guys can also find my original work over at kidriotcomics.com where again I'm with these two amazing fuckers and you can check out my other original work over in the Young Men in Love anthology edited by Joe Glass and Matt Miner it was a pleasure to be part of that book and I'm going to keep promoting it until I can't speak because it was such an honor to be part of Hey everybody, welcome back to the Billy Club, our exploration of Marvel's Crimson Crusader and all of his swashbuckling 60s madness as we make our way through his entire history at Marvel. I'm Nico and you guys can find me at Nico Action. that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Tori Sheehan, you can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and at SM Tori, that's Tori with an I on Instagram as well as at the Billy Club pod on all of your socials. And we are here to move a story forward a little bit. I have no ill will toward this story or its characters or its creative team, but I do feel like I'm at a place where I don't want to talk about this issue anymore. <laughs> and I, it's not a problem, but it's indicative of why 60s books are hard to talk about today a little bit. Most of my notes are actually conversations about the way that this story, which is guest starring Kazar the Great, apparently, oh, um, apparent. <laughs> is indicative of the style of the time and also kind of indicative of the fact that like, I don't want to say they didn't know what the fuck they were doing, but I don't think they were considering the best way to go about it. I agree. And just to talk about it for a moment, we're here to discuss Daredevil, the man without fear, as here he comes, number 24. This is by Stan Lee and Gene Colan with some terrific inks by Frank Jacoa. And it's lettered by none other than S. Rosen, lettering himself and doesn't feel the need to complete his own name. It's so <laughs> it's brilliant. I think calling this book The Midnight Stalker is weird. I think a lot of stuff about this book is weird. Here's the thing I feel, though. Daredevil 24 
really is kind of the last issue in a line of kind of dumb issues that we liked. And it's the last really dumb issue that doesn't feel like it has anything Daredevil about it for a while. Yes, I definitely agree. This is an issue that made me be like, I'm getting sick and tired of flipping genres and having them try to shove Daredevil into a genre as opposed to building on Daredevil and letting the genre be part of the the driving force of the story. I really get that. The thing that comes to mind here is that this issue is on the heels of a couple of other, oh, look, the return of that villain. We saw more Gladiator. We saw more Owl. Now we have more Kazar and, you know, Kazar, Kazar, however you want to say it, he's never the bad guy. He's not the problem. It's his brother. And this is one of those situations where, like, I love a lot of things about classic campy comics. But, like, if you're telling me there was a guy whose name was Reed Richard and his BFF was a guy named Victor Von Doom. <laughs> you want me to think that Vic had a chance? It's like there's just some names that kind of damn you a little bit. The name Plunder, not great. No, no. And I feel like Captain America really taught us 90s kids that too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There are some things about this issue that definitely play up tropes of the time. They play into some things that really feel sillier than they feel strong. And I think. It starts right away. This five-page long, sort of boring fight sequence. It's not a particularly spectacular fight sequence for Daredevil. It's not a particularly spectacular fight sequence for these goons. Like, who's out here giving, like, a, a lackey award? Oh, I won a lackey this year. I was goon number four in Daredevil 24's opening <laughs> sequence. Get me my no prize. Yeah. It's not like that. Yeah, for me, it was very much, this starting uh, fight definitely gave me the feeling of this is going to be an issue that is both rushed, ridiculous, and not really in the fun way. For right. me, the fact that they're like, there's guerrilla warfare in this random European country. I was like, it wouldn't be this at the time. And it wouldn't be these kinds of goons. I spent a lot of time thinking that these five issues leading to him getting a jet to England, A, if it was happening today, would have been an entire issue that would have been a lot of Matt Murdock's internal monologue about what he just got out of, what does it mean for him as a, as a superhero, as he's dodging these bad guys. As he's Are the hand behind it. Right, like, yeah, like, it would be both interesting Perspective as he's trying to hide, maybe he would have gotten injured early on. I honestly did expect one of these shots to hit him to make him more vulnerable as he went forward. And the fact that it didn't let me know that this was going to be a zero stakes issue. It's also so silly that it starts on the heels of last issue because. No, it doesn't. It sort of does. He escapes from the Coliseum and has to walk home in a place where he doesn't know so like presumably several i don't know 100 feet or so after he got out of the coliseum he gets ambushed and it's the silliest ambush you never feel like there's going to be anything i held out a small hope that these guys would show up at the end to be like fuck you daredevil and they don't at all and so there's nothing to this it's just 
Stan and Gene being like, okay, he's in Europe. How are we going to get him out of here? Oh, we want to bring back one more dude who's in England right now. So let's point A to point B as fast as possible with some punchy, punchy, punchy. Then we get a two-page flashback. And I understand that like people who may have just recently started might not remember an issue from a year ago. But at the same time, like, the flashback is when I was like, oh, this is going to be a lot of fluff this episode because this plot that they decided on isn't meaty. But I also think that there was a way to make this plot more meaty that would have given us a better Kazar, a better Matt Daredevil, and a much more interesting look into the issue. This issue very obviously doesn't really sink in until page 16, but... The first 15 pages could have very easily have been a detective story. It could have been Daredevil. Sure, keep the opening fight, keep the opening sequence to the jet, fine, whatever. If he lands in England by page eight and he is slipping on his robe, he sees that this looks like this. And I believe that Matt has defended Kazar in court before. Yeah. And so it would have been very easy to turn this into Daredevil being like, that's weird. Let me figure out what's going on. And then like superhero detective work, him and Kazar staring at footprints, figuring out what the problem is. And instead we just, have these pages that go from one fight to the next to the next to the next obviously it's this action genre and things but i don't think it's the best service to where we want the plot to end up no but now i am obsessed with murdoch mysteries detective daredevil and kazar noir right because the midnight stalker is a very noir idea yeah. And it would be so interesting to slip into that noir idea for this one as opposed to just an action sequence. And the fact that they didn't, and the fact that the Midnight Stalker is such a throwaway idea when it comes to the plotline, I was just, I was deeply, deeply disappointed, only more so than by the incredibly terrible return of the bad British lingo that Stan thinks is correct. And that's something that we've talked about a bit on the many programs that we run here that Thor says verily at thee. Why do Norse people sound like Shakespearean characters, Stan? It's a choice. And I will say that as we get further into it, once he gets to the castle, we do get some really great fight pages. I think that the page 13 fight between Daredevil and Kazar, you can feel them start to play with panel placement on page 13, panels four to five that that Kevo's showing. There's a panel break between them, but the panel is one. And so it, it shows off that kind of throw. It has its moments where I'm like, this is a great way to show a fight. But then we follow it up with, I'm just going to sneak off. As, as we're running away, I'm going to lock the door behind me and make a quick call and i'm like this could have been so much meatier and better and not had so much nonsense because we are now 13 pages into a 20 page issue because there's two pages of letters at the end and we are just like barely understanding what's going on and i think some of that comes down to some of the weirder art choices i do like a lot of the art in this issue i think a lot of it's really well blocked but Mm -hmm. some of the choices to have no backgrounds some of the, it's a big blue block, and it's a big yellow block, and it's a big green block. 
it kind of gets hard to really feel with the issue because the cover is also so muted and dull and kind of dingy. There's something about the tonelessness of the gray, the very average clothing that they have Kazarin isn't exactly engaging in any way. And that we are dealing with a plot where it's like somehow the bad guy named Plunder, who is famously a usurping bad guy, is trying to usurp his brother. And, I don't know. And like nobody thought like, oh, this guy escaped. Perhaps we should alert the authorities in that area because he has such a problem with his brother. We should be watching out for him. Like this is very much the plot dictates what points we need to cover and yeah. i feel like it's a really paint by numbers version of the story it and it's a story we just had it's a story we just had and while i feel that the nerve ray is dumb at least it raises the stakes a little bit towards the end but again like that is page 18 when that gun goes off and like page 19 is beautiful the akimbo kind of panel breaks the use of like those yellow blue background blockers the busyness going from super busy up top to, to very low busyness on the bottom as the submarine rises like it totally. is pretty but this whole issue feels very much like it either needed to be completely reworked, completely just like the first half of the story, and then like the second half is something else, like his return to New York and trying to get back to normalcy, and then we can get that final panel, which we will get to. I feel really let down by this, and I don't know if it's one of those things where whenever Kazar shows up, it's always going to be a weird issue. It's always going to be not good because he's such in such a different genre world than Daredevil. Uh, so here's, I think, my take on it. So many of us think, like, I could be a Stan Lee. I could churn out 12 books a month, no problem. And maybe you could. Maybe you really could. And I'm not here to tell you that you could or couldn't. But what I do think is that Stan Lee didn't have 50 years of Marvel to pull from. Right. And he had no reprints. He had no hardcovers, no digital editions. Mm -hmm. He didn't have TV shows based on those comics. Mm -hmm. TV shows inspired by those comics. He didn't have a million things to source from. He had his memory, his experience, and his ideas. Right. And I think he would, you know, just be like, oh, and that's when we'll tell a Kazar story. I don't know that it's that any story that features Kazar is going to be bad because it's such a different genre. I think it's that it smacks of Stan Lee's inability to see that not every shoe fits every foot. Right. And I also think it speaks towards the 1960s in comics. I mean, and maybe it's different in like the Avengers track over in Fantastic Four or Spider-Man. Daredevil, we have talked a lot about how it feels a little bit like everything gets thrown at the wall and we see what sticks. After 24 issues and three, four years, it's starting to feel like nothing is ever going to stick. And so what is going to keep bringing people back over and over again if they don't know what they're going to get and we're still just trying to catch anyone who might have an extra five cents that week? I really agree. You know, Spider-Man had the luck of being young and cool and, uh, you know, a spider, thwip, whip. And like, there were things about Spider-Man that made it special. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we think about early X-Men, I think back on all of those classic adventures of Jack Diamond, the guy who might have implicitly uh, sexually molested Scott Summers. I think back on all of those amazing appearances of characters like the Master Mold and um, that time Marvel Girl uh, showed us how much she loved to vacuum with her telekinesis. I think back on that time that Scott Summers used a racial slur to describe a Middle Eastern man in his own country. Um, the 60s. I think back on those stories, yeah. I think my thought there is, you know, we didn't get what X-Men became until like 1975. And then we didn't get what it would re-become until 1992 and then 2001-ish. You know, stuff just sort of like naturally used to reboot every 10, 15 years. And now it's every few years. And Daredevil is still so far from an era where it's like, that's Daredevil. That it's it's wild. Like I really don't think it's like the Daredevil book until really Miller. You know, there's the amazing Black Widow. You know, repping Black Widow today. Got on a, a little Black Widow gear because I love Natasha so much. But it just feels to me sometimes like Daredevil really just kept surviving. I don't know if it was just like at this point, it's accumulated 40 issues, don't cancel it. It's accumulated 60 issues, don't cancel it. But it never really felt in this time period, like Kazar being like, I'm rich, I'll make sure you get home without having to. What is he implying on the last page? That he's going to busk for money? I mean, it's so fascinating because honestly, like I'm 90% sure that, that Matt defended him at court. So Kazar should recognize him at the airport. And it all feels very much like bros who got a little too close in the hot tub last night, like not understanding how to say goodbye at the airport the next morning. I don't, it's such a weird, this whole thing is so rushed and so weird and so wild. And I don't know, man. And then we get slammed with this sledgehammer of a, fi- of a final panel. That could not have been the original final fucking panel. I, 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 I it must have originally been like, oh, he's on his way home. Kazar said. I I honestly don't know. I'm trying to imagine like how this plot can come to be. And I really do think is it's we need to get Matt back to New York. Once he gets back to New York, he he has to be like completely off his game by whatever is happening there when he gets there. And right. we need something to occupy him in the meantime. And that's how you slowly make your way there. There's a part of me that honestly thinks that this final panel is one of the first like moments that crystallized for this issue and they were working their way towards it i could believe that especially because there are some weird treats in the letters pages from 22 to 24 that one of the letters really connects to this in a way that i find interesting and fascinating for me i i didn't realize that Karen and Foggy weren't in this issue. Generally, when Daredevil's off by himself, we have a couple of pages in between where they take over for three quarters of a page or half a page yep. or whatever. Yep. And we didn't have that this issue, which no. is different for them and yeah. interesting to think about. And then they show up and I'm just like, why? Why are we back to this nonsense? But then at the same time, the implication here that Peter Parker, or I guess Spider-Man, because he signs as Spider-Man, but Peter Parker sat down on a fucking typewriter, typed out this whole letter of, I know you're Daredevil, but I won't tell anyone, maybe, is so weird. 
because secretaries open all the fucking mail. And to me, and, he, and Matt's blind. And Matt, well, but he's daredevil. So how blind is he? At the same time, it's also one of these things where they really don't think of Karen as having her own machinations. Because to me, if I opened this letter, I wouldn't be like, oh no, could this be true? It would be like, huh, you know, I don't know if I believe it, but based on some shit that I've seen, maybe this is proof and explains a lot? I would assume it's a prank. But it's Spider-Man. But how authentic is it from spider Oh, it's got the Spider-Man right, government so, seal so, of Yeah, siblings. no, no, yeah, like, like, did it, did she find it in a little, like, web hanging outside of the window? Like, yeah! <laughs> I'm so weirded out by this choice and the way that they went about it. It could have very easily have also just been, Foggy, we just got a letter from Spider-Man addressed to Matt. Do you think we should open it? What if he needs help? I don't what know. What if it's lawyer confidentiality, Karen? Uh... I don't I don't know. But I'm always fascinated because there's always this idea in the world of art, as you know, the idea of is the author dead and how much should you look to outside sources for explanations? The old, you can type on on Twitter that Dumbledore is gay, but that doesn't make it visible in the books kind of deal. Right. And so how much of these letters pages are like fixing what they realize they fucked up in previous issues? I think that's one of the things that I find the most interesting about the letters and what they choose to print. I can't believe these are the only letters they received. No. Okay, that's number one. Number two, a number of these letters are just letting them come for other letters. It's wild. Mm -hmm. This is like a subculture, but there actually is a letter where somebody's like, why don't you just have Daredevil out his identity? It would be different. So like, that's what I mean by like, I think in some ways they got some ideas from the letters pages. And I agree. I mean, it's also one of those things of like, do you let the fans run the arc? If the yeah. X-Files fans are so fucking excited for your show, why not get together the pairing that makes them so excited? Agreed. Um, so there's always that give and take. I want to believe that there was a core like idea for Daredevil that they were going with before they were getting input on how to mold it. And I, I don't believe know, they had that. And that's and I don't think so either. And that's what makes me leery of how much importance they put upon the letters pages and the responses and the and the ones they choose to showcase. Well, I'm sure there was no importance really. You know, I just genuinely I mean, enjoy the artifact of it. Oh, I agree and I want to get into them. I mean, it's also possible that these were the only ones that didn't cuss them out in ways you can't put into the pages. So That is very fair as well. <laughs> So we have letters issues from issues 22, 23, and 24. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's between seven and eight letters per issue. The first one from Daredevil 22 is just basically ableism in a letter. It's, I don't think Daredevil can read. So <laughs> you can fuck off with that. And I mean, I actually don't think that he should be able to read the imprint on a newspaper through his gloves, but that's a personal, like, it's not that I don't think he can read, it's that I think it's difficult to feel, either his gloves have to be paper thin for him to be able to do it, or it's both. But he's got those super senses. The second letter is that, yeah, why doesn't Daredevil just tell the world he's Matt Murdock? 
This guy is like, wouldn't that be a different thing than all of your other heroes who keep their identities secret? Wouldn't that be challenging of the medium? You know, this becomes a central idea of who Daredevil is in a way that it's not a central idea of anybody else's narrative. Mm -hmm. It's a huge part of other people's narratives. But Daredevil has been outed more times than Ricky Martin. And so (laughs) I think it's really significant that, you know, it's as early as this letter in... Issue 22, the second letter, where they're like, what if he was Daredevil out to the world? Would that make him one of the few that was out in this world? I mean, I know in the movies, Only. it's very it's very rare for one of the superheroes to actually have a secret identity. But back now, yeah, he would have been the only one. Yeah, I mean, literally, their response is, we think we don't know what we think. <laughs> That's crazy. I love that. Now, I need to say that, to me, all Billy Clubs are beautiful. Right. Of course. Uh, there's there's no bad Billy clubs. And so when I see all of these letters being like, there's seriously like a letter an issue for a hot minute being like, but where does the curve of his cane go when he makes <laughs> it into the Billy club? <laughs> Some men have curved Billy clubs. I was going cool like, to say, like, have you looked down? Right. You considered like how it fits into your pants and then it can also do other things. Just like lay off the curved billy clubs. That's ridiculous. There's so many letters. But Tori, there's one that I've been like dying to get to with you. The fourth letter in this issue, I couldn't believe what I read. Now, the fourth letter says, I, at this time, would like to congratulate all who worked on Daredevil 19 as it was one of the best issues I have ever read. I was especially glad to hear that Foggy Nelson had dropped his ridiculous masquerade as Daredevil, which I considered a bit childish. However, in the letter pages, I saw a query about Daredevil's costume, namely how the DD insignia can stand out on his otherwise shadowed chest. I had a pet theory about this for some time. May I put it forth? I assume that Daredevil's costume is made of material much like red velvet. Can you imagine getting punched by the rhino and being like, I'm in red velvet. You can't hurt me. Don't it's pillowy soft. Don't step on my red suede shoes, fellas. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If you turn the velvet the other way, it becomes the yellow outfit. Then it's like red, yellow, red. Yeah. I think that's what this person thinks. Well, now I want that outfit, though. Can we get that sequin outfit where it's yellow sequins on one side and red sequins on the other? And you just. I don't think that would keep him very safe, but I do love it. It gets a little dark for a minute. Oh. Letter five. Daredevil sucks because he doesn't have new gadgets all the time anymore. Sorry, Stan. This is because of James Bond movies. I'll tell you. I believe it. And so many people have signature things. Like Cap has his shield. Iron Man has his repulsor ray. On the cover of X-Men number one, Angel has a bazooka. Okay. Why? I don't know, but it's one of those images that we don't talk enough about. (laughs) There's other weird ones. Daredevil should remain funny. Uh, Daredevil would be funnier with a seeing eye dog. I think all superheroes are alike. The rest of 22's letters aren't quite as shocking. What I really found amazing is 23 and 24 both feature letters from women. Do tell. Oh, the first letter, it's horny. I love it. The first letter in 23 is, Dear Stan, I just finished Daredevil 20, and the only thing I can say is wow. Forgive the unladylike enthusiasm, 
But what else can I say? To me, genial Gene Colon is the only man to pencil the sensational solicitors, Nelson and Murdoch, especially Matt. I have never seen magnificent Matthew looking more ruggedly handsome than he did on page 7, panel 5. I know Gene is busy, what with Shellhead and all, but please, please put him full-time on Daredevil. If I don't see more of the colon version, I think I'll cry, or at least weep softly. By the way, if Karen Page doesn't want him, I'll take Matt. Signed, Patricia Turner from Alameda. It doesn't matter. She's moved. So, um... (laughs) no, she's still there. Just like Matthew. (laughs) I mean, that is explicit for the time. She's horny. Get it. She is into it. And I mean, we were all into it. Oh, yeah. You know, we can't go five minutes without talking about Matt Murdock's thighs half the time. (laughs) If Karen doesn't want him, I'll take him. Girl, he's fictional. Well. (laughs) Yeah, Patricia. Damn. Damn, Matt. Listen, as a girl who takes her time with her fictional fellas these days, sometimes it can be nice (laughs) to forget about the fella who comes in and says that your meat is too well done to uh, enjoy a gent who might, you know, sucker punch him and say, what's new, pussycat, or whatever. So. What's new? is these letters get real aggressive. Several letters are like, you're bad at your own continuity. Like the second and second to last letter. They literally are like, you don't know what you're doing. These characters don't look alike. These two issues. These characters don't have consistency. Oh yeah. This one right here says, you guys don't know how your own last issue ended. Well, I would never encourage such blatant, aggressive criticism but i do think there is a grain of salt of truth inside all of these complaints that uh they could consider especially because that was one of our complaints for this issue i agree completely (laughs) but um it's never right to go after after your creators because you never know how they're going to combat you. Let me tell you, somebody came at the creators and was like, just so you know, the way you have Daredevil's hearing work, not possible. And after that, there's all these letters that are like, <laughs> so you know, I'm an auditory specialist. You're wrong. <laughs> I'm waiting for NASA to call up and be like, let me tell you, our instruments don't vibrate. He wouldn't be able to fly a rocket ship. I mean... Oh. We gotta suspend our disbelief, like. But hold on, this guy in here, Stanley. This guy is like. Let me tell you, this is how this stuff with Kazar went down. But then he's like, "By the way, in case you think Daredevil's never flown a plane before," and I want to be like, (laughs) "Why don't you just reference the time he flew a rocket ship before?" I had the exact same note in here that I was just gonna bypass, but like, for fuck's sake, Stan. Remember your own continuity. For fuck's sake. Because one of the other letters is like, I love that you brought back uh, a classic Daredevil bad guy. I would like to see more classic Daredevil bad guys come out. Sure. Uh, sure. There is another guy being like, hi, um, how does the cane curve work? I'm trying to be YouTube appropriate. <laughs> Same. There's also a letter that's like, I am a sad soldier and your Marvel comics make me happy. Thank you from soldier to comics. And like, that's cute. 
That's the last. Yeah. So the next letter kicks off with somebody correcting someone else's German from another letter. That is how grammar Nazis get started. (laughs) It's evidently specifically about the length of Der Zauberg, which um, is actually 716 pages, not 600 pages. This guy got it wrong. Man. Men have been well actually even before feminism was there to try to fight them off. I swear. The third letter in this one is so sensitively emotional. There's some sort of like, are you okay, my gay brother? (laughs) In the response, he's like, seriously, I love you guys so much. And even if we are wallowing in troubles and people are fighting in Vietnam and France is kicking us out of their country, I can always imagine that some guy who thinks he's the god of thunder will risk his life for our planet. And the response is, I, we're not quite sure if you're putting us on or not. Well, because that's how gay this letter is. <laughs> how long do they keep publishing these letters? Now. Like at the end of every Daredevil issue is two pages of... Uh, One page and not every issue of every book but yeah wow wow i mean it's an interaction it makes people excited to be like will my letter be in the next issue yeah and especially the fourth letter this guy is like i'm a senior and i love marvel and all of my friends make fun of me for it but someday marvel will rule the earth so i don't care i mean he's right and i hope he bought stock well Nothing is better than letter five. Dear Stan and Jean, your letters have more than their fair share of nitpickers, hair splitters, and hypercritics. For instance, one fan from Drake University in issue 20 had a scientific explanation as to why Daredevil couldn't possibly hear as he does. Will Jay please explain how a mother with less than ordinary hearing but two good eyes can hear at the end of one of a long ranch-type home with the Rolling Stones on stereo what her children are up to in the other end of the house? Most mothers have this ability, myself included. As an avid science fiction fan of close to 30 years standing, as a mother who happily subscribes to all Marvel comics for her son and reads them herself, and as a good citizen, I believe that Daredevil's talents, like all things, are possible, even probable. Other improbabilities not so long ago were splitting an atom, orbiting a spaceship, and the silly flying belt of Buck Rogers. Among us may walk a daredevil or anything. Signed, Mrs. Liz Lenahan from Jacksonville, Florida. Mrs. Liz Lenahan. I mean, she's like, what if God was one of us and he's already a mother to two toddlers and he's still better than you? Yes. (laughs) Good. I love it. I love it. Love this mom. Love her ferocity. Love her lack of shit for you. The last two are kind of silly. Number six is like, I'm in a band called Opposite Six, and I normally don't read comics, but I was bored after a gig and I read comics. They're cool. Thanks. Cool story, bro. Right? Nice, nice plug for your band. And uh, letter seven is just like, I'm British and Daredevil is cool. Really? They don't? They don't look at it and be like, this is a weird version of what I look like. <laughs> All right. No, they're good with it. To each pot a lid, as they say. These letters are so interesting to me because they both reveal and don't reveal and only reveal what they want. Uh, I, man, this whole issue has my head in a scramble. <laughs> I hope nothing has your head more scrambled than the fact that they say that the next issue is Daredevil 43 in that little yellow box. 
No. Oh, no. I mean, it's, I just, 43. Like, who else would, oh, Stan. Stan, my man. Stan, my fellow man. Throwing sticks. He looks like two years away. I think it might be Spider-Man or maybe Fantastic Four. That would be my guess, too, is just, like, he meant to say, like, DD25 and because I presume that that we're gonna get a, another Spider-Man issue where Daredevil shows up soon yeah at some point eventually so like that would have made somewhat sense but I don't know I don't know man I feel I like these letters are always so interesting to me especially because it feels like a carnival barker sometimes when they respond to these. Like, well, Gene Willikas, thank you so much for coming on down. You know, if you really feel like that you need something a little more exciting, you should head on over to the candy corn store or whatever. And, and sometimes it's like, hey, buddy, if you don't like this, you can go and suck clams. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, th- I really think it was just a part just trying to make people feel included, just to make people feel special. It was a tradition. It was a way that you could interact with your fan base. It gave a marginalized group, comic readers who felt like they weren't being represented other places, a way to feel special. You know, I think these were just really a part of the tradition, of the joyous tradition of comics. And yeah. they are... Just like such a part of the classic reading of comics and that you could find out upcoming things or where the characters might appear in other titles in the letters pages or a creative team change. It was just like a cool way to communicate. It was always just like a fun thing to read, especially like to establish history for the characters. Yeah, I can get behind that, I suppose. I'm so much more in love with the idea of extra pages being a way to convey more interesting universe expanding information but i guess that's something that would come later and we then... also get it like the the pinups with the billy club or mm-hmm. the pinups with the training center we do kind of get it but i agree with you it would have been so much easier to draw one big thing like that instead of answering all these letters and having all these tiny little art yeah yeah i do love that they have let's level with daredevil though i think that's really charming Yes. And I'm learning more about the MMMS thing. The Mary Marvel Marching Society. Wow. Wow. What a time capsule. This has been a blast. You know, I give this issue like a C minus, to be honest. You are such a kind, kind critic. I am. What can I say? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a guy in a Deadpool hat. I can't make too many judgments. <laughs> I give this issue a C minus. I give these letter pages uh, 23 and 24 an A plus for having ladies. Uh, I think the number of guys who have never worked with a curved billy club really just means you got to be giving your friends more reach arounds. Seriously. And, uh, you know, if you don't have a curved one yourself, just find someone who does. This has been a really fun time getting us to where I think it finally is getting daredevil-y. Mike yes. Murdoch, very daredevil-y, big times in 25. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think we've been touching on the fact that, like, we haven't fully solidified Matt and Daredevil as two distinct identities yet that become an important characteristic to each of their arcs. And I think that Mike Murdoch, when he comes, is going to really help with that. And so I'm excited to really, like, delve into those identity issues. Back to the Billy Club. Welcome back to the Billy Club. Welcome back to the Billy Club. Uh-huh. 
everybody welcome back to the billy club our examination of marvel's crimson crusader and all of his many thwipping amazing adventures though this time it's not one of his adventures we're here to talk about i'm nico and you guys can find me on twitter and instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n and i'm tori sheehan you can find me on twitter at tori underscore sheehan and on instagram at sn tori that's tori with an i as well as finding all of us at the billy club pod on all of your socials I am so excited because, you know, we're here to talk about Daredevil's appearance on She-Hulk in the finale, as well as some of the material from the Marvel Assembled, the special that D-Plus puts out that gets into the making of the show. Since we had him so visibly present last time, I think it only makes sense, Tori, and I'm sure you agree, to bring in producer extraordinaire, the one, the only, Kevo. Kevo! Hello, hello, everyone. He's my favorite special guest. It is super exciting to have you here. Kevo, where can everybody find you online? Well, you can find me on the socials at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, and producing this and all of our other amazing content at Hubs Plus Network, which you can find on socials all across the webs. I've been making all of those MC2 episodes from X's for Podcast over to YouTube, which has been a lot of fun. It's a really cool program where we do talk about stuff like Daredevil. Yeah, you know, speaking of talking about stuff like Daredevil, I'm so excited that we are here to talk about even more Daredevil on the She-Hulk finale. When we got Daredevil in Spider-Man, we didn't know just how much of the amazing Daredevil cast we were going to see. If it was just going to be Daredevil, then we got Fisk and Hawkeye. And now we have Daredevil and She-Hulk. We know there's going to be Daredevil and Fisk in Echo. Then there's going to be Born Again. It's been such an unbelievable change from just a few years ago when there was no Daredevil anymore. And you know that Charlie Cox pretty much outright credited the Save Daredevil campaign, getting him back on TV. What an amazingly grateful guy. Not that, you know, he hasn't done all the work to get this role. Not that he hasn't trained studied, worked, and so excited to have Daredevil back on the air. So I know what Kevo and I have thought because, you know, live together. Although you can tell right now I'm at Fogwell's gym and Kevo is, of course, at the loft. But Tori, since you're calling in from the offices of Nelson and Murdoch Avocados at Law, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how you felt about the She-Hulk finale. Oh, I loved the She-Hulk finale. I thought it was one of the smartest ways to go about doing a big MCU finale without actually changing too much of the vibe of the whole everything before it. I loved how much more we broke the fourth wall. I loved the clever use of the Disney Plus screen. I loved uh, getting to meet Kevin. (laughs) I think my favorite part is that I had been interested to see how much Matt Murdock and Daredevil would be used in She-Hulk in various ways. And the fact that he basically just like got popped back out to play like the the girl who comes back at the end is just yeah, that's wonderful. Great. It's so wonderful. I loved everything about it and was so happy to watch it. And getting to see the making of the whole series just really cemented how much thought and care and precision went into everything about the show. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly now Kevo I know how you felt because again gay live with you but I would love for everyone else to get to hear what it was like for you as somebody who didn't grow up reading She-Hulk I've had to tell so many people that She-Hulk was created by Stan Lee so you can literally take your shit and just deal with it because the guy who created the Marvel Universe said 
this is what it is. Now, I've always shared with you, She-Hulk, many, many runs, many, many good times together. And so I would love to know how it felt watching these nine episodes of The Jade Giantess. You have, in fact, always spoken very highly of She-Hulk. I remember something very early in our relationship at a time when all of this would have seemed impossible. You talking about your desire for a David E. Kelly literally david e kelly not even style she hulk program on abc yeah especially once the merger between marvel and disney happened and the possibility of things like that became a reality and we were starting to think we could have marvel shows on network television and then we got what we got and that was an era of television that happened and now here we are and we have she hulk finally finally um, really has been an amazing fun ride the first season has been a really amazing experiment in what she hulk is and what it can be i really hope we get more and i really hope that it decides to lean a lot more into the comedy of it not that the drama wasn't good but you can do emotion while being more comedic and i think that where she hulk lives is a lot more night court than it is the practice and i think stuff like that would be amazing stuff like mr immortal jumping out a window more of that i don't think every single episode can sustain the lunacy of kevin dropping in and it felt like daredevil genuinely dropped from the sky yes at that point <laughs> by kevin i can only assume i don't think every episode can sustain those levels but yeah the ridiculousness and the fun and seeing more of matt in a way that i'm sure will be dramatically different from what we're going to get next summer with echo or the year after that with born again i think that would be great I very much agree with all of the assessments here. I think for me, the best part of what I got from this She-Hulk show was it said, don't worry about She-Hulk before. In much the same way, I think the Marvel Universe has always said, don't worry about what came before. I don't compare the Marvel Universe to the Marvel Cinematic Universe anymore. At least I try not to. I say they're totally different things and they can't be compared. And that's even when I'm like, if you like the comics, great, see the movies. If you like the movies, I guess great, read the comics. But they're not the same thing at all. In that, this She-Hulk show gave me a She-Hulk free of always being the joke character in a serious book. So even if it maybe feels to me like She-Hulk and Daredevil is kind of a, a long stretch for the comic universe, I would be great with it if she had a very dramatic role in Daredevil Born Again and inexplicably just goes back to being very funny in She-Hulk season two. There's a lot of potential for the sort of new world they've created for her with the guys at the retreat offering the opportunity to play an Ant-Man's heist crew level of law comrades. Now, obviously, these guys aren't lawyers, and they can't be. But one of them could absolutely go into training to become a paralegal to turn his life around with Jen's support. One of them could use his skills to be a PI. Another one might be very good at bookkeeping and helping keep Jen afloat. And Jen could go into her own private law office and do her own thing. That could be a really cool story, especially if Matt's going to San Francisco that's a really good opportunity for Matt to work in a corporate environment where we've never seen him. I think for me, it's the freedom that she's not going to put on the Fantastic Four uniform. She's not going to be one of the West Coast Avengers the way that we know the West Coast Avengers previously. She's not going to necessarily throw down with a scroll. This is going to be her own She-Hulk. And I think even if it isn't those specific characters from the retreat, I think an episode like that really proved that this show could handle 
recurring minor characters like that in such a way where they could introduce new characters, bring back a few of them. I think that that shows they have the ability to produce that sort of cast dynamic in a really fun way that I would love to see more of. I think your point about whether Jen could exist in another one of these projects and one of these worlds that has such a different tone, I think it really speaks to what the MCU is in terms of being an adaptation of Marvel Comics. I think one of the things I'm feeling when I see a lot of criticism of the MCU lately is I feel like the criticism is of the comic origins of the films themselves where yeah sometimes it's really silly sometimes it's really dramatic and you get some of both and you get characters that go across different projects because that's what marvel comics has always been it's been about that interconnectivity and those different points of view and those different levels of drama versus seriousness versus comedy and i think seeing jen however briefly in something like born again or dead pool 3 or anything i think she could adapt well to that without taking away from who the character is and without having to change who the character would be back in her own title i agree i also think that i'll be interested to see that as we move forward with each of these disney plus shows and they start to integrate with each other a little more how much each of their genres are going to shift the show that they get moved into for a little bit and how they're going to handle that, especially if it becomes something so difficult to reconcile. Comedy is one of those that like can go with anything, but can also shift everything around it so much you can't separate it out as easily. And so I'll be yeah. interested to see how that goes. It's something I talk about a lot on X's for Podcast, where we talk about kind of like the nerfing of a character. When you put a really powerful character in a really silly situation, they're never quite as efficacious again. So they're going to have to be careful and figure out how they balance it. But I think using a serious character in a funny way, Daredevil was used expertly here. Now, episode nine was a very different form of Daredevil than we'd gotten in the previous installment. And I'd gone into the final episode thinking there won't be any Daredevil. So when she was like, bring Daredevil back and he jumped in like that, I literally thought it was going to be a stand-in. I even <laughs> thought there might be a joke about how he's not going to have any dialogue because he's just a stand-in. And then he's like, I missed the action. And I was like, oh, that's, that's Matt. <laughs> oh my god and then we got more matt and more daredevil and he got his own lines of dialogue that had to do with him not just she hulk yeah, it was, that was really wild. exciting you know the idea that matt is such a locked off closed off sad person is unfortunately at the heart of who he is but this idea that he's always looking for family and he's always trying to break out of that sadness and enter into some sort of communion some sort of safe emotional place seeing him embrace a family like he's never had his dad lived at the gym his dad didn't live at home and then his dad lived as an enforcer not at home and his mother ran out on him she was not home his brother only exists some of the time. So I literally forgot Tori was not at a law office right now. So there's a there's an element to which Matt embracing a world in which he gets a family is like wish fulfillment and putting him yeah. in the gold, making him the golden boy coming in to rescue, but not needing to rescue. So he gets to do what he wants to do, save the day, but he doesn't need to. He's there 
in case. This was so many things I've always wanted for Matt, and it's amazing how the team nailed it in like six minutes. And I think it was a really important representation of Matt to show before whatever comes next for him in the MCU, specifically in his title. Because with the title of Born Again, you know it's going to be dramatic. Just even if it's not a direct one-for-one of the comic, even if it's the way Age of Ultron was the movie, whatever it is, it's a Daredevil show from the MCU. You know they're going to make it whatever they can. Seeing him so happy when that is where we left him with Netflix, but that was so many years ago now. So to be reminded of Matt being in this healthy place for any kind of future where we can see him be deconstructed is so important and i love your use of the phrase wish fulfillment because so much if it was that scene of him you know reaching for marklin baker's shoulder while they are just growing around him and jen's dad is such a huge moment to give a character like matt murdoch and they really knew what they were doing and what emotional buttons they would need to hit to make us so overjoyed to have have Charlie back, to have Matt back, to have Daredevil back. I agree. And I also think that it's a great way of hinting to the audience that whatever comes after this for Daredevil is not going to be more of the same. That while it is still true to the character and still a continuation, it's not going to be right back to where we were on Netflix for the characters. Right. Because one of the things that we left off on is will he or won't he with Karen, who he's outed himself as Daredevil to, and Electra's dead, and or maybe she's not. And where we leave him is so disjointed of where this must be for him to just be casual. And like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Polly, so I'm not like you can't just casually sleep with people, but he's Catholic. So, you know, Matthew, I know it's <laughs> California, but right. Come on now. I love what this means for Daredevil. I love the transformative thing this allows for Daredevil as well. But at the heart of it, this does divorce Daredevil from a lot of his past in a way that they could move forward with it in a meaningful way. I think we'll get a little bit more from Echo. It was like a minute and a half in Spider-Man plus a couple of minutes of deleted scenes. It's this hour of She-Hulk that's really like 22 minutes of She-Hulk and then there's the inclusion of whatever we get an Echo before Born Again I feel like they're trying to trace a narrative for Daredevil to get him somewhere new it's just interesting that whatever is taking him to California or will take him to California or whatever it's implied that he's still in New York in Spider-Man many many Spider-People it seems like he had made some kind of remark that he has to do a couple things on the West Coast. Although I'm always fascinated when they take lawyers across state lines and then say that you can work here. But um, it's fine. I'm sure he's passed all of the bars at this point. And it's all of them. the question, though. It's what begs the question of what is he doing out here in California? There should be some story reason. Do we have to address it? No. Would it be fun to? Hell yeah. So well, I, I mean, think it begs the question. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could have also been that he heard about another lawyer who got superpowers and went to go find out what she's about. And, you know, there's really nothing stopping Matt from relocating to California just to relocate to California. 
He's a guy who has a dual identity. Stuff gets messy. He has a trail of bodies. He's trying to get away from a number of dead people whose specters haunt him. He's a man who feels held down by his history as much as it uplifts him. So if he was trying to be someone kind of new, he might just start over in California. In the comics, not that that has to happen. Foggy eventually runs for DA. Karen goes out to California to become an actress. There's things that would move these characters forward they could always reunite as they do in the comics but nothing stops them from taking those steps off screen and having us jump in a little while down the line you know i didn't need iron man 2 to start at the end of the press conference that wasn't a requirement so if daredevil wants to do some leaping forward uh, with the help of projects like spider-man she-hulk Echo. I'm here for it. And you know, fuck it. And Hawkeye, because Wilson is as much a part of this as Daredevil is. I wish we maybe responded to the Wilson stuff when it happened. At the same time, it does feel like, and I I say this, you know, with everybody knowing that Kate Bishop is like love of my life kind of levels of fandom, but like, you know, Kingpin did get kind of beat up by a little girl. So like, I do want to talk about that because he got beat up by two women. But like, we've seen him take on like 10 people. He was blipped for five years. The musculature took a downturn. All right. Testosterone levels fall off as you, you know, you enter your evil 50s. So, um, come back with him. They didn't blip back. You embarrassed me in front of Lady Hawkeye. (laughs) Where's a car door when you need one? Uh, You're just going to slam them with that Panama hat. One of the things that made She-Hulk 9 even sweeter for me was the incredible addition of the Marvels Assembled. Getting to see that behind-the-scenes stuff, seeing how much the cast loved the show was really cool. And as much as I was in it for the She-Hulk and the She-Hulk cast, Pug is so hot. Wong is so hot. And then when he uses that British accent that I understand is his real voice, but like... You know, he's always going to be kind of like, because I saw him first as Wong, you know what I mean? Like, that's one of those reasons that a lot of actors are like, no, I want to use my real voice in this role that will make me famous. Because now I can't make him British in my head. I'm like, no, that's a role. Cool. Um, So hot. I really thought the humility in Charlie Cox talking about being Daredevil, talking about being like, well, no, he's he's blind, but I'm not going to shame you about it. I don't know how we can look in each other's eyes. There was so much romantic about the way Charlie talks about Daredevil. He doesn't talk about it like it's a role. He talks about it like the way people who make podcasts about Daredevil talk about it. It's special. It's an emotional connection that you protect and that he seems to know that in every moment of his performance elevates the performance for me. It's a case where like author theory really is relevant to the experience. Agreed. We've seen that with uh, with several of the actors in the MCU who have just attached themselves so deeply to these characters and found something of so much meaning to them. And so it's just such a joy. I'm sure it's possible that should ever Robert Downey Jr. come back to the MCU that we would see something similar from him. That kind of like, I get to be here again, got to remember how to how to hit the points and be amazing and whatever. Even not so much Robert Downey Jr. He's got a different personality, but... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you know, that really hit me that he basically like not given up, but just was like, and that's done. And the hat goes away and I will do other things now. And to have that come back and have him so happy to be there and in such a loving and interesting environment and getting to try something different with the character and exciting for him with the character. I was just like, you little little smush, you get to have whatever you want. So very happy that they called him out of retirement. 
And his love of the character is what makes me so defensive of his character's use in this program. Because I, I don't think that he would have come back so happily and heartily and be so excited about the role if he didn't think this was Matt Murdock. If he didn't find a way to make this true of his Matt Murdock. I don't think he would have just come back for nothing. He always had that choice. But he thought that these appearances, the first two, the one from Spider-Man, the one from She-Hulk, were really great and really fun appearances for his character and it's what led to more was that cooperation that interest and seeing him take to those roles and still be that character and still be that guy and have that care and attention to his character i love seeing fun matt i'm really curious to see what kind of matt we're going to end up seeing in echo is he going to be fun is he going to be mentorly are they love interests in this version are they specifically not love interests in this version it's hard to know i think a huge part of it is it took an actor who we could sort of identify with daredevil to be daredevil robert downey jr is kind of a smarmy king of his world chris evans was kind of like a guy nobody expected anything of who tripled in size to become captain america jeremy renner is kind of a dick uh, scarlett johansson is someone who's done this all before and she's been around and she knows her part to play mark ruffalo is good at not being the first guy that comes to mind for a role. So when Daredevil is somebody that you root for as an underdog, that makes a little bit more sense. I'm not even talking about the film or his performance, but like Ben Affleck is too Batman to be Daredevil. But Charlie Cox, you want to see him succeed in that same underdoggy and way you want to see Daredevil succeed. Agreed. Agreed. I feel that, yeah. There's something really exciting about knowing this isn't the only Daredevil project we're getting in the near future. I know Spider-Man sophomore year is going to feature an animated Daredevil, which I'm really excited about. That's going to be really, or soft, freshman year, senior year, I, junior year. I was like, oh no, he's older now? It's going to be really exciting for the expansion of Daredevil, because now I'm like, what about a Daredevil in a what if? What about a Daredevil, you know, in any other thing? Because it's sort of the way Deadpool slowly boiled up and into the popular mainstream. Or the way, you know, Miles Morales did. Daredevil has a little bit more of a storied history, but Daredevil, as he's becoming is evolving over time, evolving before our eyes. And I really think so much of that is owed to not just the Netflix show being so good, but the quality of the people on the Netflix show being so warm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right down to Vincent, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, a thousand percent. Yeah. In concordance with that, there's that's why there's such a huge like groundswelling of asking like, okay, well, are you going to announce Foggy and Karen again? Because why haven't you announced them yet? What's going on? Why aren't they there? Yeah. And the idea that we live in a world where Daredevil was like the most talked about Marvel term for a couple days, a few times. Like, how, can you even imagine being Charlie Cox and being like, guys, they're they're rooting for me. Like they're cheering for me to come back. Like people, they they told me that my my career was over, that I was done being Daredevil. But like people are literally saying it wouldn't be the Marvel Universe without me. Like I can't even imagine having nailed a role that. Yeah. It's I don't know because 
I, I'm not just automatically a big fan of anything Daredevil. I'm very critical of Daredevil runs. I'm very critical of Daredevil projects. I don't buy just every Daredevil thing they make. So like, you know, it's really cool that it's not just everything is perfect. The Netflix show kind of was. And the cast made it even better. And they're back. Some of them. Hopefully all of them. Marvel has to know at this point. They can't. Unless you're going to be like, oh, no, Karen Page is played by Meryl Streep. I don't think you can get away with it. Well, no. Here's the problem, though. We're expecting something just a little bit too soon. They've announced a project that's not coming for almost two full years. Daredevil Born Again is summer 2024. So that big one, they're not going to really announce that cast probably for a year. I'm not saying at all, like that they definitely won't. But the likelihood, it's the same thing with Fantastic Four. Everyone is very, how come they're not announcing yet? They're going to wait as long as they possibly can. And that enters production soon. So they're yeah. going to have to announce that soon. Daredevil Born Again is not probably going to enter production until like early 2024. And it's the frustrating thing about having all these projects announced and having to wait for them. It's exciting to know what we're going to get. And frankly, everything that we have announced that we're getting is all coming within the next two, three years. Two, three so years. Yeah. All of it is, I think... Secret Wars was maybe pushed back to May 2026. But yeah, it's just, it's frustrating not to know. It's always so frustrating because you hope, but there's no promises. One of them could be busy. Right. And there's also that. And there's also the fact that, like you said, like they could have all split up. He could have left for California and and they just don't show up. Yeah. And that's the direction they want to go with the character, which I'm sure we'll love. But, you know, we also still want to see our friends again. And this isn't a comic book. So you can't just have Karen and Foggy show up on one page and have it be worth the price of Deborah and Eldon. Maybe people have shown up for crazier stuff in this. But when it comes to that with the MCU and considering real people, it's not a comic book where you can just draw their face one time and it costs for one panel. Yeah. It's all comics. It's a movie. It's a TV show. And we have to think, can we get Eldon and Deborah in for just one day? And is that worth the cost? I agree. This was an exciting step. We need more steps. We need to keep running toward that door because there's a world of Daredevil that we haven't seen on the page. And I'm not just talking about cool minor characters like Black Tarantula from the Ed Brubaker run or any of the awesome officers from the Zdarsky run. I'm thinking like we've never really gotten Typhoid Mary. And we got like nine episodes of Electra total. And we never really got to have a lady bullseye. There's so many female characters in Daredevil who are so much stronger than so many of the, the, the tragic Daredevil female characters that get mistreated so horribly that we could give a really cool visual to on television if we just leaned into it. For sure. For sure. I've always been a little shocked that Typhoid Mary did not become so much bigger than she currently stands. Agreed. Like, I just think that she's like a Joker level kind of anti-hero for Matt, so. And she does become that in the Chip Zdarsky run, but the iteration we got in Iron Fist season two was just not Typhoid Mary. Mary Walker, sure. Typhoid Mary, no. From what little I know of the character... 
yeah, no, it was a very bizarre departure. And one of the great things about comics and comic book worlds is more than one person can carry a character's name. So, guys, it has been such a blast talking about Daredevil coming back. And I want to know, Kevo, before we go, before we, you know, swing on to our next building, what do you hope for from the Hornhead and his future installments like what's the main thing whether it's echo or daredevil born again or showing up in secret war what is your main hope for daredevil you know i have a lot of hopes really i hope he's in an extensive amount of echo for one thing i really hope that he's in a significant amount at least a ruffalo in she hulk level of appearances hopefully more hopefully more like a renner and Haley type situation what i'd really love is to see daredevil paired with spider-man i know that both of those actors are really 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 interested in working together again whether it's daredevil on a spider-man project spider-man in a daredevil project meeting somewhere in the middle i think seeing that and that as a representation of just seeing more daredevil crossing over in general you know if someone goes to new york in a project could he appear just more from him would be really great well i love it and i would love more from you in the future and thank you so much for coming and playing with us today thank you oh no so you know, Tori, this originally started so long ago that you and I were just going to talk about the comics, but, you know, Daredevil popping back into She-Hulk, all of these announcements lately, there has been so much to mine of, like, the meta quality of Daredevil that I think is really going to dramatically transform where we see the character in the future. I know that currently in Marvel, there's two characters that go by Daredevil, Matt Murdock and Electronachios, and stuff there is getting crazier than that. What is your big commitment going forward with Daredevil? Like, I know for me, I'm looking for a world in which Daredevil gets to move forward from the cycles of pain he's in. I don't need him to find happiness. Just new cycles of pain would even be fine. What's your future for Daredevil as we approach the multiversal reimagining of Daredevil through comics, re-releases of back issues, omnibus editions, and TV shows? What I want from Daredevil differs, I think, in which media he's in. I think that I would love for him to be in the movies and TV shows. I think like anytime they need a lawyer, Matt Murdock shows up. Like, I know that he's not announced, like they would have announced him for the other ones, but like, I think it'd be really cool if he was in Thunderbolts or like he keeps showing up for Spider-Man every so often. Like, I think that'd be really cool. And for him to continue to have the occasional six to eight episodes to himself to keep himself going to give a highlight to his characters that are so good in the comics i'm not as caught up as you but i think for me i have always loved matt when he gets to let his guard down and have a little fun and like be a little lighter and so i'm hoping that he can catch a fucking break and that having two daredevils doesn't end up with having one daredevil and there's no more Matt Murdock, because that's my concern. But I don't think he's there yet. It's gone some places. I think oh, my no. my goal for 2023 oh, is no. you're caught up. So <laughs> that's, I am just so excited to see the future of Daredevil and this bold new time to be a fan. It's 
just super exciting because the character has done his dues and put in his time. It's not someone that I'm like, why doesn't he just get whatever he wants? No, this has been a steady amount of publications since 1964. He at some points is a disability, you know, representation on the page, although really beautiful that Charlie Cox was like, his disability does not affect his ability. So he's not really blind in that same way as if to say, hey, let's not forget that even if this is representation, it's not true representation and it is magicified, you know, at other times. He's just like the pussy poppinist straight boy uh, in all of comics. His ass is just like right above his house. It's just, he feeds himself his own butthole at times. And so he's always been this sort of counterculture thing. And it's just really nice to see that he has really risen to the top and is becoming his own culture thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm proud of him. It's going so much. I'm proud of him. And I'm proud of you, you know, has been so nice like having a daredevil friend because like i make everybody read something and everybody reads born again for me or man without fear one through five you know everybody sits down to something but like you get it we're daredevil buddies mm-hmm. it's not like you read daredevil we're daredevil we're the yeah. two daredevils mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah so that's just nice yeah all right thank for, well thank you for dragging me on this trip with you my pleasure. I just punched Matt in the face, but my pleasure. All right. Just being the best little pugilist I can be. So until we return to talk about Mike Murdoch, one of the best things that ever happened to Marvel Comics. God bless. Till then. Stay, stay fearless. fearless. Mm. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> can I say it was really fun when the when the number one cover popped up on the behind the scenes? Oh my god, right? That was so amazing. I was like, oh, that guy. <laughs> and like, I don't know, the whole thing was just really romantic. And there was just something about like, hearing him talk about Daredevil is hearing a fan talk about Daredevil. And that's special. Yeah. Yeah. So. I love that. intro for us as well and we were unaware that it was so amazing amazing and wonderful i was not prepared (laughs) oh my god and now we're we're in cute little wreaths this is this is full force wow okay 
Uh, I hope I'm still Nico. And you can find me at Nico Action, N I C O A C T I O N. I'm Tori. You can find me on Instagram at SM Tori and on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan. And we are the ho ho host today for a new man in red. Yeah, this is the Billy Club, Marvel's one and only Daredevils podcast. I'm just so thrilled by the holiday stuff. It was so great. I loved it so much. Oh, that was so terrific. This is the Billy Club, your one stop podcast for all of the adventures of Marvel's Crimson Crusader and uh, evidently his holiday adventures. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorites. I covered this for X's for Podcast. That show's been going on for so long. They have so many episodes. You should really check them out. They cover so much. Um, but I love so much about what this is because it's not your classic Christmas tale. Kevin and I once had a long discussion about how there are like four basic themes for Christmas episodes of television shows. I think when you get into Christmas issues for comics, it can kind of be the same thing. There's the idea of like the gift of the Magi. There's the idea of, um, and then a Christmas miracle or like a Scroogeifying or the Grinch or things like that. And this is um, not that. No. No. And I really absolutely love it because I'm doing, like you mentioned, Excess for Podcast. We do a holiday special every year. This year, we're kind of doing a best of because like Tori said, we've done so many holiday episodes over the years. This year, we're doing a best of. I'm very excited about it. I'm recording something new for it where I'm looking at every special issue ever called the Punisher Holiday Something. He's oh. had one shots in the bigger Mar Marvel holiday tales, but specifically the Punisher had three one shots, Punisher holiday special one through three. And then he's had four Punisher holiday one shots over the last 20 years. I'm just so fascinated. My Marvel thought this was such a good idea. Yeah. Who is he? The doctor? Well, that's the thing. They all fall into one of two categories. Mm -hmm. really because like you said there's a couple of categories for christmas there's punisher stories where some of the decorations are christmas like oh he's claiming that the bad weather is because it's snowing because it's right around christmas but it could also just be a hurricane in miami and it wouldn't change the story right so there's a lot of like you just kind of slot in the holidays yeah and little die hard little yeah. iron three and then the other story is you put the punisher in a santa suit that's it. That's the only change. It's just Punisher in a Santa suit. I went into this issue having just done all of this rereading for holiday stuff and actually re-editing all of the classic X segments so that they'd be cleaner and tighter. I went into this being like, oh, great. I'm in for another holiday story that's not holiday at all. And you know what? It's actually kind of not that holidaysy, but what it has is Winter's Tale. Yes. It's got so much Winter's Tale about it. And like a good Winter's Tale has Fear of Cold. Isolation via the elements, the idea of heat saves us, mm -hmm. the idea that if we stick together, we can survive. Mm -hmm. This is a winter's tale. And yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, you don't need your daughter trying to become her mother who's a statue. You don't need that. And that's the thing about this story that also makes it so interesting is that Daredevil number seven from the Mark Wade run. Now, this is from volume three. Yeah, we didn't introduce this for five minutes in. <laughs> oh, no, but this is such a great issue. It's It speaks for itself. And we'll, oh, have, yeah. a really, we'll have a really clear uh, thumbnail. We have Daredevil number seven by the incredible team of 
Mark Wade and Paulo Rivera, just one of the best ever writer and penciler teams to ever be on Daredevil. Of course, Joe Rivera, his father, doing inks. It's such an amazing team up to have those two together. Javier Rodriguez does beautiful colors and would, of course, go on to be one of the most breathtaking artists at Marvel, doing full art on several titles that we cover regularly over on Exes for Podcasts. Joe Caramagna with his brilliant letters courtesy of Virtual Calligraphy. So terrific. This issue came out in 2011, and it is to this day one of those like the Badlands level of perfect one and dones for Daredevil. It's so gorgeous. And it starts with that cover, the black and the white, the snow, the simple snow angel, little red guy down there. Like we complain a lot in the early issues about how Daredevil is so small in comparison to other things on his cover. But in this, it's so perfect. There's just a little smiley dude down there and he's having a good time and gets the big bad world. And I love it. I love everything about it. And I think the thing that makes the story so important to me is that I really love that he's not fighting a bad guy here. There's no enemy. It's not bullseye gained the power of perfect accuracy at Christmas. Mm -hmm. It is daredevil against an opponent, which is winter and fear. Like the bad guy here is kind of fear itself because he's trying to hold it together for these children. Now the setup for this issue is Matt Murdock is doing his annual volunteer work, taking children away for a weekend in the winter, just children that face problems in their life. And he's just doing what he can to make. And are also blind. Yes. And the main thing about this story that becomes so powerful is it's not that Daredevil is fighting anyone to save the city. The stakes here are several individual children. And more than anything, it's not that Matt can't just save these kids on his own as Daredevil without really, you know, having a problem. It's that Matt is in a position where the psychological scarring these children could incur is an equal threat. He's not just trying to save their lives. He's trying to save their their sense of mental safety when these are kids that are already in a position of uncertainty in their regular lives. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's also a little bit of self-preservation concerns for Matt. We have a lot of conversations about how Matt gets very knocked down before he gets back up. But this is one of those where as the pages keep going and as it keeps not turning around, you really start to feel Matt being like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is how I go out. Maybe the kids will be able to save themselves, but maybe this is how I go down. And it's hard to feel that in your usual man without fear like that he's just so beaten down from the issues that come before this where he's been trying to keep himself upright he's been trying to keep himself light and fluffy and happy and not the old mat but it's it's under there and when everything is just the cold and the dark and the fear it'll all come back out and that's very very interesting to read when you think that you're going to open up an issue that's just like fluffy, happy Christmas times. Or at least you'll have like a bad guy you can fight. Like there's Mm -hmm. so much about this issue that's so disarming. And one of the things that's so perfect about it is the quality of Mark Wade's page economy. Mm -hmm. Mark Wade and Paulo Rivera really use every panel to its most efficacious 
this sense of cutting between stories and media res storytelling can be really tricky. We start on the bus, then we backtrack, and he's talking to Foggy, and he's dealing with the fallout from last issue, then we're back on the bus. It's so much back and forth, but it's all of the places where Mark Wade is able to cleverly show without overdoing it. It's the effectiveness of showing the limp. It's the effectiveness of having the kids dragging Daredevil. There are so many key elements that are a storyteller trusting his team. I feel like Mark Wade said, here's a couple of the biggest emotional moments. I would love to be the one to do them, but there aren't words. Mm -hmm. Show it. Kevo, this amazing blocking you've done where we can see the creative team the whole time is just so beautiful because I really feel this creative team deserves that sort of credit for what is easily one of the most beautiful issues I've ever seen. It really shows how each of them shine and bring such wonder and such amazing work into this issue. It's firing on all cylinders. Nobody is phoning it in. This is a great, great issue that really sticks in your mind and and yeah. and stays with you you know it's been over 10 years and we're still like no 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 which christmas this one christmas. are we doing we're yeah. doing this one we're doing this one <laughs> <laughs> same for me a thousand percent and like i think this gave us one of the most famous daredevil memes of all time oh yes <laughs> i'm not daredevil <laughs> I'm not Daredevil is like one of the most famous Daredevil memes of all time. And like, how is this not on every piece of merch that they have? Like <laughs> a thousand percent. Like, because when I think about Daredevil and I think about the fact that his, you know, my identity, Foggy, do you know who I am? Like <laughs> that I think about that this is his narrative for the better part of his career that we've talked about it so many times, you know, in the stories now they're kind of doing something similar where they're trying to defeat his identity yet again, mm -hmm. even in an amazing run like the Zdarsky. One of the things that really stands out is you either make fun of it or you lose the point. Yeah. And they're making fun of it in a way that's so sweet. Like, I'm not Daredevil is a highlight of this character for me. Oh, 100%. I think it's also the fact that so much of where we are in the 60s right now is pe is people like looking at Matt going, oh, he's not Daredevil. And now we're at the point where he's like, I'm not Daredevil. And everyone's like, but you are. But and you like, are, Blanche. Yeah, you are. You are, but wink, wink. Okay, I guess you're not. Like everyone's sort of playing into it. Except for, you know, the Daily Bugle, whatever. They're they're all just like, yeah, that's Matt. He's Daredevil. But, you know, to keep him on the on the happy place, we're all just going to be like, yeah, no, you're not Daredevil. Hee <laughs> Oh, no. Which should I grab? The red or the white? Oh, you knew I wanted the red. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those when, you know, eventually Neil Patrick Harris was like, oh, but so, I mean, I'm going to shock the world and tell everyone I'm gay. But I was never in the closet. It's one of those things. Every now and then when Matt's like, I'm Daredevil. Everybody's like, sure, buddy. We we were going to let you tell us. And other times he's like, hey, guys, I'm not Daredevil. And they're like, all right, that's what we're doing right now. OK, but you are playing Mark and Rent, but yeah. you're not Daredevil. Got yeah. it. Got yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you're covered in glitter and feathers and mom's heels. And OK, OK, sweetheart, whatever you I, need. No one can convince me that. Jaden Smith is still a heterosexual with that Insta post <laughs> with the poppers on the table. I 
think the joke becomes how well the people in Daredevil's life have fun with this. Kirsten being like, oh, so you're not deaf. She's so <laughs> sharp. It's difficult because like Daredevil is a character who has some unbelievable, breathtaking, unforgettable love interests. And so many of his love interests become so great, they no longer fit in his book. Karen has time in Ghost Rider. Black Widow is so much more than Daredevil's love interest. Elektra is so much more than Daredevil's love interest. But then you've got Heather Glenn. Heather, 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 <clears throat> Heather. So getting Kirsten, who is like queen motherfucker, like in a world of vitamin water, she's a full sugar Gatorade. And yeah. I really love her in this title. So getting to see her be part of this Christmas issue, this like spectacular moment in our memories, it does that thing where it permanently sneaks her into that moment. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? There's that thing we have where we can kind of forget that somebody's not in as much as we think they are because they're in the right things. Yes. This is that for her. Mm hmm. I agree. I agree very much. I mean, I always talk about how I love happy Matt and like carefree Matt and, you know, this party in comparison to the stark winter horror that comes. This is the best Matt that I could possibly ask for. And it's just such a joy to see him and to see someone who like gets him and plays along with him is just so wonderful for us to have as these tension breakers to allow time to slip forward in the snow. I think it's it's a wonderful, wonderful use of, of plotting. And speaking of people that get things and a wonderful use of stuff, there's two lines of dialogue in this issue that I think are perfectly terrible because they're right. Even mm. if they're not words I would have written, when I see them for Matt, I'm like, no, that's correct. Mm -hmm. The fart jokes in the beginning of the issue should be stupid, but that they play almost a beat role mm -hmm. makes them a lot better. Mm -hmm. And when Matt spells hate, I H A T E snow. Mm -hmm. First of all, it works for me because he said <laughs> I H A T E. <laughs> so it's spelling, it's cute and playful. It also works for me because speaking of Christmas, uh, Mariah Carey has a song, H-A-T-E-U. So if this line of dialogue is kind of like a perfect play to that, if Mark Wade is also a gigantic Mariah Carey fan, call me. Then call me, Mark. I'm here for it. We can have Chris Mark Swades miss. Hey, I backed that irredeemable Kickstarter at like one of the highest tiers. Mark wow. Wade, please call me. I love you so much. And um, I sort of feel like that line of dialogue Reminds me of something that I forget. Uh, some of my friends are like doctors and lawyers. Mm. I've got friends that are involved in like the actual like Politico sphere. Mm. And I've got friends that have positions where they are in charge of like, seriously, like 4,000 employees. But then on weekends, I'm like, want to play some Splatoon? And they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, fuck yeah, let's get splatty. <laughs> got any weed? And I'm like, sure, cool. And so like, it's easy to forget that people who we put in these stratospheric jobs, mm -hmm. right? It's one of the reasons that I'm so glad I grew up in the era I did, just like silly, but like that President Bill Clinton played saxophone and that Barack Obama had a March Madness bracket. Mm -hmm. Those are things that humanize people in positions who do not otherwise seem human at times. Yeah. And the mundanity of who Matt Murdock is sometimes 
Thank you for reminding me, Mark Wade, because I don't always remember it, and it's an important lesson. Oh, yeah, 100%. If Matt Murdock is around kids, he's saying H-E double hockey sticks. Like, that's yeah. who he is as a human. And I think it's something that we we see a little bit more of in the 80s because of those little uh, skateboard kids. But, I mean, Matt's not really around children very much. You know, no. so we don't get to see good. this dynamic. We don't, I mean, good. Yeah, seriously. But um, we don't get to see him have, you know, a spunky sidekick who's 16 that he's trying to like semi adopt and take under his daring wing. Like, yeah, we don't see that side of him. We don't see the nurturing or the or the mentoring as much. Whenever he's paired up with someone, it's usually a partner of equals or at the most uh, ward like it's Spider-Man who is his own thing and perfectly capable of taking care of himself. It's more like a, a bros who care kind of situation. And yeah. so to see this here, to get to watch him try to care for these kids in an extreme circumstance is also very much in that spirit of community and Christmas that we all kind of want to gather around and keep each other close in the dark kind of thing. Really, really, you know, and it's one of the reasons it's important that Foggy never became the fog or Karen never became the page or I don't know, Heather Glenn never transformed into an actual Heather Glenn. <laughs> no, no, no. He'd be the half Nelson. And he'd be a buff wrestler. I love it. And Karen Page can be the other half of the Nelson. And together they can be the full Nelson. She's the and... page turner and it's a spell book or something. Oh, this is she's, hot. I want this She's the book. new spellbinder. Erica and Karen would have some amazing conversation. The X is for podcast coverage of Spellbound by X Factor's Wheezy Simonson. It is... To never be forgotten. Unhinged. Unhinged is the word. Unhinged. The magic of this book that always reminds me that Matt is a human is when he snaps at the kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so hard because as a teacher, for the years I taught in classrooms, I would literally like channel my energy into whatever I had to, to never lose my cool on students. The worst thing I felt I could do was make a student feel like the classroom wasn't their safe space. Mm. And that's with the benefit of walls, desks. I was always lucky enough to teach in school districts that had the sort of financial means to provide for the students in adequate ways. And there's so many school districts, especially, you know, around the holidays, I can't help but think of that as someone who continues to work in education, but is no longer a teacher. The schools that don't have adequate heat that don't have proper insulation. So these kids are struggling at the holidays. I don't even face that kind of stuff. I have a cushy job. And I still think the most important thing is making these students feel safe. Matt is literally out in the wilderness, full on Bear Gryllis man versus wild, mm -hmm. kind of like out there. And there's these kids and they're frightened and they're honestly disabled. Matt is doing everything he can to manage all of this, but he's in pain. He's ailing. He's limping. And yeah, he's going to snap on these kids at some point. And then he does what he can, like a dad, to fix it. Mm -hmm. It's so important to see. Yeah. Oh, now I'm thinking about dad daredevil. Oh, my he's ovaries. Just... <laughs> right? I'll be honest. I a little bit kind of think he'd make a great mom. But like, you know, I... Uh, I've read that. My, my, my man ovaries. He is just such... A dynamic character that we see those flaws and it's that perfect moment where he hears the car and he can't really talk about how he heard the car 
these kids eventually, you know, they get him up and they drag him. Not like reading drag, but like they're literally pulling him. And one of them must have touched the horns. I refuse to believe that none of these kids realized he was wearing like a leathery costume. I mean, in With- fairness, why was he wearing the, I guess, well, I guess it's his only hat. And it's in, it's insulated. Yeah. And like, it'll keep his head warm and he needs anything he can do to have his wits about him as best he can. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, maybe they just think he's super into cosplay. Mr. Murdoch just really loves um, Daredevil a lot. And, and so he's got a little winter Daredevil hat. Especially with all of those Daredevil rumors. He just really wanted to uh, really confuse people. It's the only red suit he owns. How can he play Santa without it? How can he play Santa <laughs> without it? And then, uh, much like Santa, when he gets into these people's houses, his first thought is to thank them and reward them for allowing him to break into their home. <laughs> that his first thought is like, I call the police. I'm going to leave these people money. I'm going to explain what happened. This is a guy for whom he will do whatever it takes to make things right in yeah. every direction. And that's part of the pain of being Matt Murdock. He can't take from someone like that, even if it's to save kids' lives. Mm-hmm. It's really such a code of ethics he is bound by to the point. Yeah, exactly. As Kibble has up, I'll mm-hmm. pay for the window and the food we devour. Devour. What a great word mm-hmm. for Mark Wade to put in that script. Ellie Pyle was such a visionary editor for Daredevil. She really trusted this creative team and knew how to pull and push. This is just one of the best issues of this series ever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also one of those things where I don't know if if we're thinking about it as we're reading, but the fact that we're kind of aware that the bus driver didn't make it is enough of a someone has already paid the price for this story that we're sort of pretty sure that like none of the kids are going to die. Yeah. Like that if Matt or if somebody succumbs, they're going to wake up in a hospital in the morning. Yeah, like, exactly. They're not, we don't think that this is going to end with like Matt in the snow cuddling a frozen child that's not going to make it. Like we don't have that hanging over us as much. We still have the everyone might not like walk out of here, but we're not as concerned about extreme mortality. Yeah, that's a really great point. They even have the kids be like, why did the bus driver leave us? And Matt is like, oh, this is tough. <laughs> Don't want to tell them about death. Okay. (laughs) And you're right. You know, I kept thinking they're not going to kill a kid after killing the bus driver. That was already them facing mortality. Mm -hmm. But your perspective of they might not all walk out of here. There could have been a moment where Matt doesn't forgive himself because this kid loses a foot to frostbite. Mm -hmm. And he spends the rest of his life making sure to pay their medical bills. Yep. That's very Matt. The main complaint I have about this issue, I guess, is there's so little foggy for how much this is a very foggy heavy run and he needed a break it, it was too he was getting too much it was he just he needed a break yeah he, he needed, needed a, a little, nap yeah yeah he, uh, he was just like guys i can't make it to these panels i'm sorry it's, <laughs> i'm having like debbie flashbacks i gotta go <laughs> who is my emergency contact for this chemo oh my god what a oh man i can't wait to get into this run just another mm. 400 issues to go we got it. and the major conclusive point of this issue isn't really the stuff that follows because there's that short arc that comes after this which is lovely but the main thing about this issue is that it's reminding us that the concerns of daredevil are not just super villains mm-hmm. daredevil has always been a book 
bound by some scope of reality. Not exactly the scope of reality that like real people use, but a scope of reality that is defining of his experience as a superhero. When we think about Daredevil, we think about overcoming challenges and overcoming odds. And that's what this story really is. Truly. I think uh, one of the things that we talk about in Daredevil that we haven't gotten to yet in the 60s is the idea that it is always a double act. There is a very big difference between a Daredevil story and a Matt Murdock story. And for all that he is in the suit this time, this is a Matt Murdock story. There is no point where the kids are like, Daredevil's here! Like, there's no point where he gets to, like, something comes out of the snow and he has to punch, punch, punch his way out of it. That doesn't happen. This is a Matt Murdock story through and through. And for me, as someone who sometimes struggles with the superhero genre because in these issues it can be very monster of the week there's not enough plot development there's not enough character development to keep me hanging on an issue like this can really hold me over for several issues afterwards of big action sequences because it does so much to hold me over on the interpersonal play on the internal conflicts on the emotions and the remembrances and the echoes for me this is a huge issue that i would treasure deeply in a run and It's such a special issue because it's in a legendary run is part of the thing. Mm -hmm. And it manages to stand out. When you talk about standouts among a standout, that's so tough. You know what I mean? It's just so why we make this show Mm -hmm. is this idea of Daredevil's strength overcoming. And I don't think I've ever realized this before, but I kind of think Daredevil is a summer and winter book. And I'm like an autumn and spring guy. I'm also a very winter guy, but like I'm probably autumn winter more than I'm anything. I love summer, but the things about autumn, like the season of autumn is where my heart is. The season of winter is where my heart is. Gets a little cold, but you know, it's it's kind of a balance. And Daredevil exists best in the coldest days of the mm-hmm. darkest winter and the hottest, most acrid days of a New York City summer. Yep. But yep. I don't know. Fall is kind of Matt Murdock's time. Yes. Fall is definitely a Matt Murdock season. It's very much about putting the the heat and the the weight of of the summer behind you and taking a breath cooling down a little while also recognizing that it's going to be a very long time until you see the sun again and i think that that is very matt murdoch i think the time of renewal and warming days that might be matt murdoch cuffing season but it's not really so much matt murdoch that's when you might start to feel like a spring issue is when he's courting someone or it's a foggy nelson centric kind of episode matt doesn't really resonate as much with renewal i think i think his renewal is so revolutionary that it's not as evolutionary as we see spring be at least here in the temperate zones of the new york city metro area so okay that's probably what makes this issue stand out a little bit because Mm -hmm. it's a matt murdoch in winter story yes whereas matt murdoch is usually fall Mm -hmm. and i was just realizing i associate fall and spring stories with matt falling in love with electra at Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. so maybe electra is fall and spring Mm -hmm. in the balance Mm -hmm. to daredevil's 
summer and winter, which mm-hmm. then of course makes sense because the overlap of their identities is Matt and Electra, not mm-hmm. Electra and Daredevil. Yes. Mm. Okay. You know, yeah. pretty good. Thesis. Yeah, I think we can uh, send that off to the professor and uh, start getting some research materials together and really uh, yeah. ML- MLA this motherfucker. You know, we started the show officially seven months ago. Mm-hmm. We put up our first Amazing the Origin of Daredevil episode. And, you know, we didn't think we were going to do the like live TV stuff and uh, the special we did for the cartoon that he's going to be in. And- <laughs> Yeah, there were some million things we didn't think we were going to do when we started the show. I didn't think Mm -hmm. I was going to get a chance to show off my awesome Deadpool cardigan, right? So here we are at the end of our first year. You know, it's it's been really exciting. We've done like 25, 26 episodes. Yeah. And um, we're moving maybe faster and slower than I thought we would. Maybe (laughs) with a little bit more awesome input from Kevo than I could have ever dreamt up. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. Makes the show look so much cleaner. So truly the gift. He's the gift. He is the tree. He is the reason for the season. He is right. I'm just really grateful that we're doing this. I love this project and it's just getting cooler. And uh, I just want to say thanks for an amazing year of Daredevil. Oh, I want to say thank you too. Thank you for originally dragging me into this like years ago now. And like saying like, no, 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 you can, you can read the, the uh, comics, but first start with the Mark Wade issue and then we'll get into the (laughs) sixties. And I just really appreciate you. I really appreciate Kevo and I appreciate everyone who's tuning in and watching this and making us feel like we should keep going and, and keep introducing you guys to some really excellent, interesting daredevil content that sometimes makes us want to bang our head against a wall, but generally makes us want to swing through the buildings. Makes us want to take out our billy club and just go Christmas a carolin. I think you can get arrested for that. I think you can too. I think that's why they don't want you caroling in trench coats anymore. That's got to be a de Blasio ordinance. Sorry, Christmas present. I know what's hiding under your robes. Well, before this goes from Christmas presents to Christmas predators, Corey, (laughs) where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram at SMTory and on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan. And of course, you can find this whole podcast over at at the Billy Club pod all over your socials. Nico, where can they find you? You guys can find me thoroughly ensconced in every video on this amazing network produced by our amazing producer and editor, Kevo, who does all of this fine work on the show. Kevo, if you want to wave hi real quick. Happy holidays. I just want to say a great big thank you to everybody. You can find the show, like Tori said, at the Billy Club Pod. You can find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N everywhere as part of X's for Podcast and more. I also, personal note, thank you so much to all of the end of year lists, nominations, and blogs, vlogs, uh, podcasts that are singing the praises of young men in love for end of year stuff. It's unfucking real. I'm so freaked out. I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. And a huge shout out to everyone who made that possible. Thank you. And until next time, guys, there's only one thing to do. Stay Stay fearless. fearless. We got it. We got it. We got a triple play. Yeah. (laughs) And to all, a happy new year. Happy new year. Happy holidays, everyone. May you survive the blizzard. (laughs) 